Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. For our first show of 2019, we start big with the At The Flicks Awards. Shame it's spoken only as Neil's wearing a very fetching number. After that, we discuss the films we're looking forward to in 2019. Steve Wright from Cineworld tells us some of the goodies which are due to be released in the first quarter of 2019. And then it's movie news time. Jeff has a Tom Cruise update and Neil talks about the new screen version of Rebecca. I can't wait to find out what I'm going to be speaking about, as if. Lucy tells us what films she's looking forward to. Our reviews this month are The Front Runner, Stan and Ollie and Glass. Wow, that last one is very close to being a horror movie. <laughs> Finally, we have our catch up on what else we've been watching and Jeff's quiz. So another packed show. If it's a bit too much, we can always drop Jeff's quiz. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. Although in the real world, these two subjects have now become closer than ever. A current list of horror icons proves this. Bella Lugosi, Peter Cushing, Chris Graylin, enough said. <laughs> Hi, my name is Graham and my main cinema interests are sci-fi and comic book movies. This year I'm looking forward to seeing all the new superhero movies <laughs> and seeing Jeff's face for each one. Oh, every cloud, Jeff. Hi, my name is Neil and I agree with Jeff. Wait a minute. I don't demand a people's vote to stop superhero films from being released. Where's the intro I wrote? I do apologise to all listeners. My two co-hosts have been lobotomised for watching too many superhero films. I will now continue. Wow, guys, a month into the new year already. They say as you get older, time seems to speed up. Must be going the speed of a bullet for you then. I am, of course, way younger than you. In so many ways. Anyway, as I was saying, one month gone and how incredible are the films we have watched. Not only in the cinemas, of course. The streaming platforms are continually up in their game. Indeed, this concept of streaming versus cinema is something we're going to have to be monitoring closely as we go throughout the year. With so much going on and so much for us to say, especially Jeff, we have had to bring our other contributors on board. Our friend Lucy will continue to give her views, while in a series of pod shorts, Phil Foster will be examining all aspects of cinema, especially that streaming versus cinema issue. Also, we want to take the time to look back at the great history of cinema. We have plans to do this in a number of ways, and the first is a new podcast series, Director on Director, where Phil Stubbs will be telling us his views on some of the great filmmakers. We have so much content and so many ideas that it is our aim to deliver something to you each week. Most of our new features and some interviews fit perfectly into this category. Plus, after some great feedback, our aim is to bring out what the listeners have been watching as a regular pod short. We will also be continuing with Jeff's History of Horror and My World of Sci-Fi shorts. Neil is busy planning something secret to one-up us. I could tell you about it, but as you all know, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club, and no, that isn't a clue. <laughs> but what we do talk about is the feedback we're getting from people who listen to the show. Now, after our end-of-year show, I will admit I was worried 
not about Jeff's comments, as I can always edit them out. Podcast Nazi. (laughs) (laughs) Funny, I was thinking the same about you, Jeff. No, I was worried about the length of the show. Was it too much? However, that is not the feedback we've been getting. Many of you enjoyed it. And as a sample, I want to read out some of the comments we had from Paul Nicholas. Thank you for making the time to write this, Paul. Loved the interview with the Blind Eye Gwent film guys and thought it was the best interview section to date. Loved the enthusiasm that came through and also that it was a cause that was looking to support kids in a much needed way. The end of the year top lists were interesting and seemed to have some commonality about them. Hurrah for A Quiet Place, as it, along with Mission Impossible, were probably the two cinema films from last year that I will remember most fondly. As an aside there, Paul, Jeff had neither of those two in his top ten. Typical. Jeff trying to be contrary again. Although I won't be watching A Quiet Place, that would lead to clean up in aisle five. (laughs) Thanks for that image, Neil. Paul, along with others who have commented, liked our approach to the obituaries and also said that I really like the longer format of the pod. It allows for a more detailed level of interview and discussion. And you can cut forward and back in any way, can't you? Because you've, uh, you've yeah, added in chapters. I've added yeah. in the chapters now, yeah. Thanks to everyone for the feedback. We took note of everyone who had problems with the volume levels in the podcast, and I believe we've now fixed that. If you're still having problems, please let us know. Oh, one final point, and one I certainly agree with from Paul. There has been a reduction in the one-upmanship humour between us on the podcast, and that has helped the flow of the narrative, which is what we are trying to achieve. Long may that continue. Stop taking the piss out of Neil. Yeah, like that's (laughs) going to happen. Only when Graham censors me and I get cut out. Good idea. There will be more of that this year. I will make you professional yet, Jeff, even if it kills me. Many have tried, Graham. (laughs) Many have failed. Okay, one final word for me before Jeff reveals the answers to last month's quiz. Our Twitter feed continues to grow. And thanks to everyone who supports us. Sarah, Declan and both Phils have been great supporters. Also, a shout out to Elijah Haldrick and Flipper Sond, who have had some very entertaining and informative discussions with Jeff. Those guys know their movies, and it's great fun talking with them. Moving on, quiz results time. Just a reminder, here are the end-of-year questions, with the answers following. Number one, Graham called this movie his favourite of the year, and also said, and I quote, The challenge for this movie is how do you build drama and suspense around a well-documented historical event? What is the film? First Man. Question two. Here's an extract from one of my very few rants. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. Without doubt, one of the biggest disappointments of the year, unless, of course, you are a left-wing leaning middle-class newspaper, at which point you call it a masterpiece. What film am I talking about? Peterloo. And question three. Neil finally caught up with a film Graham and I had seen many times. Here is an extract from Neil's review to help you guess the film's title. It's easy to criticise a film from 1968... It's slow in places, but maybe because we're used to the lightning fast pace of Marvel and DC, etc. What is the film? 2001, A Space Odyssey. Question four, most important question. (laughs) It's not about a film. Who won the sports movie debate? Me. No, not morally, Neil. Technically you did. Morally I won. Yeah, but actually me. (laughs) Okay, whoa, whoa, guys. Right, thanks. Okay, all right. I see the podium is ready. Time to get dressed for the awards, lads. 
made it through the crowds. Welcome to the At The Flicks Awards for 2018. Two of your correspondents are in tuxedos for the occasion, and we're lucky Neil is wearing clothes for once. It is winter. <laughs> okay, and we've now given you, the listener, that image. <laughs> we thought we'd sneak our awards in just ahead of the Oscars, and as our show runs long enough anyway, there'll be no acceptance speeches. <laughs> so let's get straight to the first of our six awards. Thanks, Steph. I'll start the award ceremony by opening the envelope. And the first award is for... Jeff, you bastard, you've done it again. <laughs> Graham, this is an official award ceremony. You've got the tux. I mean, not even Ricky Gervais would get away with that sort of language. Ricky Gervais doesn't get to read constant Mel Gibson news. Yes, listeners, you guessed it. The first award of the evening is the Gibson Award for the best Mel Gibson movie of the year. What? Great award. Big news. <laughs> As it happens, the only Gibson release of the year was at various film festivals and we have had no chance to see Dragged Across Concrete. If only. As yet. Also, we don't live in Russia and as most of Mel's films seem to open there these days, so Jeff has given me this little acceptance speech for this award. Before I start reading it, all I will say is be afraid. Be very afraid. Hang on, that isn't in the script, right? <laughs> nope. That was just a warning to our cultured listeners. Do we have them? <laughs> Cheekies. Oof. There are no cinema releases for a male film in 2018. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, in honour of the great talent that is Mel Gibson, <laughs> I'm reading this, people. These are not my words. We once again give the award to the last Gibson film which opened, which was Drumroll, as I open the envelope. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Oh, for crying out loud. Daddy's home too. Seriously, <laughs> Jeff? Just read the script. It's not that hard. A trained Neil could do it. <laughs> While the original Daddy's Home wasn't very good, agreed, Mel Gibson made the second outing a stellar experience. <laughs> His blunt yet surprisingly tender performance elevated this film to a greatness it didn't deserve. Or, or, or a disaster it did deserve. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Jeff, are you taking the piss? Enough. The award is here, Mel, if you want to collect it. We won't leave a message on your answer phone. That caused enough problems in the past. Thanks, Graham. Now it's over to Neil in a fetching string vest number as he comes to the podium to read out the next award. It's not the string vest that's a problem, it's these damned high heels. <laughs> On with the second award, which is for the Star Wars Award for the most pointless sequel. I like the Star Wars films. We have had many to choose from this year. Contenders for this award include Incredibles 2. I liked. I, I liked. Yep. Yeah, a Pacific Rim uprising. Yep. Oh, that'd it. be a good, good yep. uh, contender. Uh, Ocean's Eight, which was bad. Yeah. Um, however, they're still all entertaining films when you compare it to our winner, Sicario: Day of the Soldado. God, it's even worse than Equalizer Two. <laughs> to the I like Equalizer Two. To the filmmakers. To the filmmakers. To the filmmakers, using a title which includes a foreign language doesn't make you highbrow, especially when you're missing the one ingredient which made the first film so good, Emily Blunt. Yeah, she was fantastic in that film. 
It was her journey from innocence to understanding of corruption that made Sicario complete. A few other little things were missing from the sequel. The directing skills of Denny Villeneuve and the cinematography of Roger Deakins. Agreed. While Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro do return, the whole movie tone has been changed from dark undercover to all-out action. In fact, spoiler alert... The way Benicio Del Toro survives being shot, it could be a superhero action movie. Well, that's a perfect storm there, because you know how much I love superhero movies and how much I like the work of that hack Villeneuve. (laughs) We're going to cut that, aren't we? That's a horrible comment. That is shocking. Yeah, from a film fan. Yeah, exactly. Well, Well, Benicio's almost miraculous resurrection isn't even the thing that strains credibility. The idea that the drug cartels would fight back against America by people smuggling Muslim terrorists over the border into America is something so stupid you wouldn't even find it in one of Orange Man's deluded wet dreams. Oh, God, thanks for that image, Neil. And in that dream, all those terrorists would look like Stormy Daniels. Away from Jeff's sordid mind and back to the pointless Sicario 2. The film doesn't add anything that the first Sicario hadn't already covered in more thoughtful depth. And the worst thing, it clearly sets up another sequel at the end. Enough already. Jeff, over to you for the next award. These shoes are killing me. Thanks, Neil. Take a load off. Clearly you need to. Uh, Next up is the Lotto Award for the biggest waste of lottery film funding. This year that award goes to... Bear with me, I'll open the envelope... Peter Lou. Hang on. I think you've done a Faye Dunaway Warren BT envelope switch. Peter Lou was funded by Amazon. Amazingly, Neil, you are correct. Thank you. The bulk of the funding for this yawn fest of a historical epic did indeed come from Amazon, but there was also funding from Film 4 and BFI, which distributes lottery funding. So you see, Neil, when you buy that lottery ticket hoping to get the money for that plastic surgery op so you can look more like me, you actually funded Peter Lou. I hope you can sleep at night. Now, some may say I go on and on when I speak about how bad this film is. You, you certainly, certainly do. do. <laughs> However, and I will ignore the two old men in the Muppet box, <laughs> this truly is a poor representation of a historical epic. My review in November podcast says it all. So, in our special nationwide plea, to the people who control the lottery purse strings. Please, no more bankrolling Mike Lee when he says he has another idea from history. Or anything from Wales. Or anything with Mel Gibson in it. Hang on. Mel Gibson in a Mike Lee movie. I would actually pay to see that. And I've got an unlimited card. Although, on second thoughts, Mel's history films aren't that good either. Graham... Are you composed for the next awards? I'm getting confused. <laughs> Forget Mel Gibson and breathe, Graham. <sighs> Ready. Okay. Next up is the Hobbit Trilogy Award for the most gratuitous cash-in. This year it goes to Once Upon a Deadpool. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Uh, Deadpool 2 is a great film. In many ways, better than the first Deadpool. It has plenty of violence, swearing and lashings of black humour. Unfortunately... Once Upon a Deadpool, took two of those away and also reduced the black humour. Some of the scenes with Fred Savage were quite funny. Yeah, that's true. But by taking away what made Deadpool stand out, is it that different from Guardians of the Galaxy? And why 
why make it at all unless Disney are trying to tone the character down to bring him more into the Marvel Universe? Oh, great. Thanks, Ray. More bloody superhero movies to look forward to. In this case, I have to agree with you. Deadpool needs to stand out of the pack. Make it the same as everything else and people will quickly get bored. And superhero films may die off. Actually, I'm really starting to warm to Once Upon a Deadpool now. It was either a big marketing mistake or a plan that was doomed to fail. Just like Brexit. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, Once Upon a Deadpool is definitely a worthy winner of the Hobbit Award. Back to the podium for me for the Heaven's Gate Award for the most embarrassing failure. A film that on paper is a surefire hit, but the making of it leads to disaster. This year it goes to... God, open it. There we go. Uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. Well, I thought that was great. I liked it too, but Jeff writes these. It's tr- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I've got to clean that paper up now. Thanks, lads. It's, um, it's true, though, that it could have been better, and, and it shows a certain level of arrogance with those people who make the Star Wars films. For those that don't know the story, Lego movie filmmakers Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were hired to direct Solo. However, the producers did not like their irreverent humour or changes to the script, and after they'd filmed 80% of it, fired them. Then they bring in Ron Howard to finish the film, except Ron decides to refilm pretty much all the movie, and the budget went over $300 million. Not a problem, say the producers. Every Star Wars film makes over a billion, so we'll be okay. Not this one. The backlash from fanboys after Last Jedi, which I also liked, uh, just six months earlier, and the bad word on Solo, meant... This only just made more than its inflated production costs. It became, and you don't hear these words often, solo a Star Wars flop. The message is, as we hand this award to Disney, don't be greedy. And no more toning down a Deadpool when you take over Fox. It's like being in the Blues Brothers. It's like listening to a sermon from Brother Graham and Brother Neil. (laughs) (laughs) That's good coming from you. When you have a rant, it sounds like a DUP rally. Yeah, and you two are like Theresa May cheerleaders. (laughs) Very good. Okay, the last award of the evening, the Steven Seagal Award for the actor you don't want to see next year. That's easy for me, Mel Gibson. Hang on, let's open the envelope. That's more bloody paper to clean up. Uh, It is James Corden. James has entertained us this year, both on and off screen. There was that classic smart-ass Peter Rabbit. I hated that. And me, yeah. (laughs) I hated that. Then there was the gratuitous appearance in Ocean's 8. And another annoying voice in Smallfoot. Which, fortunately, was shit all round. (laughs) And that's only his films. He got up my nose when he gave up bacon sandwiches because of cruelty to elephants. What? <laughs> yeah, don't even ask. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Uh, it doesn't make sense, but it's true. You can actually <laughs> Google that. I've seen some Twitter on it. I don't want to even want to know why. <laughs> no. And while I'm pretty sure we won't see him next year, we will actually hear him in a couple of films. There's the animated feature, Super Intelligence. Stop, <laughs> stop laughing, Neil. And the big screen version of Cats. Oh, oh. I can't wait for next Christmas. There were more awards, but Graham cut the following categories. And in reference to Once Upon a Deadpool, there was the Finger Award. Clearly went to the Miseducation of Cameron Post. Loved it. The Theresa May for making something no one wanted. That was for the remake of Death Wish. Bruce, 
your downfall continues. The Chris Graylin of the Year Award. Graham tried to hand this to Mel Gibson, but <laughs> stopped it. I haven't found anybody to actually hand it to yet. Okay, that's it. Awards are over. Time for a drink and the after show party. Neil, I think you've had enough already. And me, absolutely. Yeah, but first, let's have a quick look forward to some of the films we're all looking forward to in 2019. Welcome to our Mystic Meg section of the films to look forward to in 2019. By the way, it is great to be out of that tux. And I can only imagine the relief Neil's feet feel out of those high heels. Okay, I'll start. And Jeff, be aware, I am mainly going to be talking about superhero films. Oh, great. Another stunning year. <laughs> Indeed. First up, and coming in April, is Avengers Endgame. Come on, Jeff, considering you enjoyed Avengers Infinity War, you must be looking forward to the conclusion of that story. Well, to be honest, Graham, anything superhero with the word Endgame in it is worthy of consideration. Oh, very good. Although, do I have to remind you that in the comics, they never die. Back to this movie. In recent weeks, the first trailer has appeared, showing the Avengers who survived Thanos' finger snap, the snapping, trying to regroup. An entertaining tease, although the appearance of Ant-Man at the end of the trailer was something of a pleasant surprise. Over a decade in the making and a film which almost certainly break the two billion earnings mark, I simply can't wait, especially with the warm-up act for this movie being Captain Marvel. I agree. I think it's going to be spectacular. Something else which promises to be spectacular and break the one billion mark opens in time for Easter. It's Tim Burton's live-action remake of Dumbo. Again, there are trailers available and the sets look amazing. We've had inside word on those with a cast that includes Michael Keaton, Danny DeVito, Eva Green and Colin Farrell. This looks like another Disney triumph. The flying elephant effects look incredible, and I'm sure it'll bring a few tears to the eye. Especially to James Corden as he stops eating those bacon sandwiches. <laughs> You're going to have to explain that at some point, Jeff. No, don't, don't bother. With the almost guaranteed success of Dumbo, and with the Lion King remake coming in the summer, it's hard to see any other studio coming close in earnings to Disney in 2019. Well, the films you two have selected sound good, and they're certainly going to be making a lot of money. My choices compared to that are a little off the wall. Now, my first recommendation is one we've been talking about for months, but outside of our podcast, very few people seem to be talking about it or even know about it. Coming in March is the Tom Hanks war drama Greyhound, based on the C.S. Forrester novel and set in the Atlantic conflict of World War II. It's got a great cast, includes Tom Hanks, Elizabeth Shue and Stephen Graham. Mr. Graham was brilliant in Journey's mm. End. Hopefully, a trailer for Greyhound will be released any day soon. Well, we're a long way from seeing any trailer for my next one, Joker, which opens in October. See, I've got to admit... Even I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. Oh, what a cast. He's, he's, he's melting slowly. Yeah, very slowly. <laughs> slowly he's thawing out. Yes, Joachim Phoenix, Robert De Niro, Zazie Beetz, Domino in Deadpool 2, she was brilliant, and Shay Wiggum, fantastic cast. Phoenix starred in You Were Never Really Here, one of my absolute favourite indie movies of last year. Do we know anything about the film at this stage, Graham? Is it all under wraps? Well, a synopsis has been released, so it does give us a bit of a clue. It sounds as though Joker is heavily influenced by one of the great comic book stories of recent times, The Killing Joke. Oh, awesome. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant comic. 
which has already been made as an animated feature. Uh, in this version, Joachim Phoenix initially plays a character called Arthur Fleck, for whom life is anything but funny and whose journey gets darker and darker. I've also learned the movie features the young Bruce Wayne and his faithful butler, Alfred. I hope this isn't turning into a spin-off from that TV series, Gotham. Oh, good grief, no, please. <laughs> yeah, me too. Although, given the pedigree of almost everyone involved, I, I think we're going to get something very special with Joker. If I have one reservation, it is that Todd Phillips, the director of the Hangover series of movies, doesn't really inspire. Fingers crossed, I'm not going to be sitting in the cinema repeating my mantra. Please don't screw this up. <laughs> Thanks, Graham. In very informative. Now, let's go to another Joker. Neil, what have you got? <laughs> uh, thank you, Batman, the one played by Del Boy. <laughs> like Graham, I have some reservations about my next selection, although I'm hoping it will be as great as the rest of the films in the series, Toy Story 4. This opens in June, and the first trailer has been released. Needless to say, at this stage, it doesn't reveal much, except for the introduction of the new toy, Forky. Other than that, we know Toy Story 4 is about a journey, but not to where. Wasn't Toy Story 4 meant to be released last year? It was, and then Disney decided to swap it with Incredibles oh, okay. 2. And what a fantastic move that was. <laughs> normal people liked it, Jeff. Notice I don't include you under the banner normal. I am looking forward to it. I just cannot believe Pixar would risk putting something below par out there when the Toy Story trilogy set the bar so high. I'm expecting Pixar to knock it out of the park this summer. Please. Okay, Jeff, on with the next one from your superhero wish list. As if. If I get to that stage, you can take me outside and shoot me. I'll get the gun. I'll help you. Oh, very good. My next one is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the latest from director Quentin Tarantino. After the disappointment that was The Hateful Eight, I'm hoping that this is a return to form. Now, it's got a great cast. It includes Leonardo DiCaprio... Brad Pitt, Al Pacino, Margot Robbie, Kurt Russell, Damian Lewis, and Dakota Fanning. What? What's an amazing he, cast. How does he do this? That's unbelievable. Well, exactly, and that's a fair point, Neil. I've hoped they've been attracted by a great script. What we do know so far is that the movie is set in 1969 and will blend fictional and real-life characters. So, DiCaprio and Pitt are fictional characters who are looking to revitalise their Hollywood careers, while Margot Robbie... Is playing the very real Sharon Tate. Now, Tate, who was Mrs. Roman Polanski at the time, was brutally murdered in that year by Charles Manson. What we don't know is if that film is going to make that murder its main focus or deal with what life was like in Hollywood at that time. It certainly was an interesting period, certainly for film buffs. Old-fashioned blockbusters were not drawing the crowds, as cinema goers were preferring to watch New Wave movies like Easy Rider. It does sound interesting. When's it released? In July. Mm. Now, that's another intriguing move. A Tarantino film, which at its very least touches on the Manson murders. It's not going to go after the Toy Story audience, is it? <laughs> An adult movie released at that time of year with a budget in excess of $100 million is a bold move indeed. Okay, one more from you, Graham, and I suspect it's a little art house movie opening for Christmas. <laughs> Not quite, but you got the date right. Yeah, it's the untitled Star Wars Episode Nine, which brings the Skywalker saga to an end. 
Thank goodness, at last. <laughs> this film, directed by J.J. Abrahams, who, of course, directed The Force Awakens. Oh, you mean the Star Wars New Hope remake? <laughs> What's this one, then? A remake of Return of the Jedi? Oh, bloody hell, the teddy bears are back. <laughs> Jeff, take a pill, sit down, and leave this to me. Originally, this film was due to be released in May, but after the disappointment of Solo, which, of course, featured in our awards section... It got bumped back to the more traditional Christmas slot. Plot details have not been released, although we do know Mark Hamill is in the movie, probably as a force ghost, and footage of Carrie Fisher will also be included. The rest of the cast will return, along with Richard E. Grant as one of the major villains, Matt Smith and Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian. Yes, Lando is back. Can't wait. I can. <laughs> you were probably too old when the original series came out. I'll take it from here, Graham, for my last film. Coming in August is the film version of Artemis Fowl, based on the books by Owen Colfer. My son and I read the books when he was a youngster. I have high hopes for this movie, having seen the incredible trailer. Also, it is directed by Thor director Kenneth Branagh who always brings a touch of class. Oh, I agree with that. His murder in the Orient Express was excellent. <laughs> the trailer serves as an introduction to the young criminal mastermind Artemis Fowl. He's found the evidence of the fairy people and their advanced technology. He also has to find his father. Hang on, that's the main thread in the trailer. In the book, it's all about him becoming a criminal mastermind above ground and below ground. Well, and I... then and then he finds out his father yes. is still alive, which they didn't know at the beginning of the book, and then he sets out to find him. Mind you, this has been about 15, 16 years 15, 16 development, years, so yeah. they've probably completely yeah. rewritten I, I, the stories so and the come book's from not a, relevant. Yeah, I come from a standpoint of not knowing the books, so, but the yeah. trailer did intrigue well, maybe. me. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, it does look good. As I said, the trailer is wonderful, and this should be one of the hits of the summer, fingers crossed. Well, I'm with you on that one, Neil. Now... Neil's picked three potential blockbuster movies, all made by Disney, and indeed Graham has picked two. This monopoly is very worrying. 40% of all films will be released by Disney now. And that's even more worrying. Okay, so my last film, and it's not from Disney, and it opens in September. Oh, thank you, Sanctimonious Jeff. <laughs> You're welcome, Obi-Wan Neil. Uh, Graham. Obi-Wan <laughs> Graham, you got the wrong. You're welcome, Obi-Wan Graham. Yeah, right. Ignoring that. My final choice is The Woman in the Window, which is a fantastic book. A sort of cross between Vertigo and The Girl on the Train. Amy Adams, Gary Ullman and Julianne Moore star. Adams plays a recluse who spends her time watching the neighbours. Things take a turn for the worse when a seemingly perfect family moves in across the road and bad things start to happen. There are a few twists and turns after that. Now it's directed by Joe Wright and I really am expecting big things from this one. Quick newsflash for you on something we spoke about earlier. In our films we are most looking forward to this year, Neil's already got ahead of me and managed to sabotage one of my choices. Yes, Greyhound, which we were looking forward to opening in March, is now not opening until May 2020. Thanks, Neil. At least your three are still coming. (laughs) Okay, let's go back to the normal show. After that look into the distant future, let's look at what's opening in UK cinemas over the next couple of months. Who better than to tell us than Cineworld manager Steve Wright? 
Jeff, as usual, takes over the conversation. Just make sure you find out what tattoo Steve had done for children in need. Hello from your At The Flicks team. This month we return to our local Cineworld Cinema for another chat about what's upcoming for the early part of 2019 with Cineworld Manager Steve. Hi Steve, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Did you all have a good Christmas? Well, well, I remember a bit, yeah. Steve, we've been bombarded by questions. Mm -hmm. People want to know, what was the tattoo? I can't show you guys because it's at the top of my thigh and I don't think you want me dropping oh, my trousers in the uh, in the office we're in here. Yeah. Yeah, put but, that camera away, Neil. Uh, <laughs> but I will, uh, I'll show you and share with you a photo of the actual design uh, afterwards and if your listeners want to see it, they can uh, obviously check it out in the show notes. But it was a very angry Pudsey. So the Pudsey that we know and love, somebody had actually turned a grizzly bear into... Pudsey by putting the eye patch on and it was actually a phenomenal design by a very very talented local artist by the name of Laura she's got designs and stuff on uh, Instagram and everything so people should check that out as well I love it it actually looks very good and it was all for a very good cause raised just under 200 pounds myself just for the tattoo alone and then a few other bits that I did and as a cinema, we raised three and a half thousand pounds. That's um, fantastic! As as a company, it it broke the half a million pound mark. So wow. we were very happy. It's a fantastic cause, as I've said before. Oh, that's incredible. And indeed, the word "incredible" is something we can uh, add to your list of films you've got coming in the early part of the 2019. I thought last year was good. This year looks even better. Well, I mean, you started off in the first month. The favourite. Who'd have thought that one would be running as much as it has? Yeah, and it's incredibly popular here in Cheltenham. We knew it was going to be good, but it's taken us all really by surprise. Flat is the perfect kind of awards film, and I'd be very surprised if it doesn't get a fair few nominations along the way. It's already in place for the BAFTAs. I think Olivia Colman is a cert. But I think one of its films in competition as we go into this award season uh, also did well in the Golden Globes is Green Book. And you've got that one coming as well. We have indeed got that one coming. So, yeah, that one's now uh, pre-booking through our website. There's a lot of buzz around it. Interesting what you say about Unlimited there because in the run-up to Christmas, you had a whole batch of brilliant movies yeah. that you could only... If you got an Unlimited card, you were spoiled for choice running up to Christmas. Mm. So you had Green Book, Stan and Ollie and Beautiful Boy, all in advance. Yeah, and we've just had... I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say what they are just yet, but check our website. There's three more that are going on. That's really taken off throughout the last year, the unlimited special screens. Yeah, they're massively increasing it. It used to be that we'd have one every sort of two months. Now it feels like there's one every two days. So over the course of this year, I think they're planning to do a minimum of three per month. Wow. I think for anybody out there wavering on getting an unlimited card, if that doesn't sway you, I don't think anything will. So, let's talk about what your slate is then for early Feb and possibly early March. We kick things off kind of with Glass, uh, not too far away now, uh, the sequel to Unbreakable and Split. Uh, If anyone hasn't seen those films, go out and check them out now. Don't know if you guys have seen the trailer that recently dropped. Uh, Just even that, it looks kind of freaky I'll be surprised if you guys go and watch it not being fans of <laughs> scary things it does look phenomenal and I think it's going to do very very well what else you got there Steve? tail end of January beginning of February there's the mule uh, Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. looks like 
quite an interesting one. I don't know too much about this. Not a massive Clint Eastwood fan in front of the camera. Behind the camera, I think the guy's brilliant. And then early February, we've got some big names coming out. Uh, so How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. This is the third film. Yeah, the and final one. It's, yeah. It completes the story. So all of the original voice actors are back. The kids are clearly going to want to come to see this. Yeah. I love the How to Train Your Dragon yeah. series as well. I'm a big fan of dragons in general. It looks fantastic. It's going to have the humour there still. I'm hoping that they do it justice with wrapping it up. The trailer looks good again. I think they've just released an extended trailer, or okay. it's due to release this week, so uh, I'll certainly be checking that out as soon as it drops online. Then we move on to the same week, 30th of January. We've got Green Book, as we mentioned earlier, so we're looking forward to that one. And then that week for us, really, they're the two big ones that we're looking at. But we do have quite a big live event. So as I've spoke to you guys about before, we've got the Met Opera's Carmen already selling out. Uh, they always do here in Cheltenham and really, really happy. We've just been confirmed to have the whole Met season. So I'm not going to list them all off. We will be here for days. But they're all available on our website for booking now and uh, listings can be found if you pop into the cinema. We can print off a full list for you. So that I think what's interesting about that, we managed to chat to some people coming out of one of the live events. Not even they love them. They're a huge following. You, know, The moment you put up online, they're in there getting yeah. the tickets. Uh, we had... Uh, one lady come in a couple of days ago just as it had been published on our website and she came in and spent a considerable amount of money booking every single one it's the best seat in the house you could go and watch that at the theatre and you're not going to get a view as good as that no. certainly the impression we got speaking to these people yeah, very love, dedicated followers yeah, lovely dedicated customers it's really nice it gives us a break from the normal day to day chaos that is the big blockbuster Yeah. Um, so it's really nice to have those in and speaking of blockbusters I think we have Captain Marvel coming up in the first quarter as well aren't we so continuing the theme of last year more superheroes can't uh, more wait. superheroes which I know you're thrilled about oh yeah absolutely this one does look very, very good. I'm quite looking forward to this one. It's a different kind of character for Marvel um, in some ways. And a female lead is always great in my opinion. So I'm looking forward to see how they do it. Everyone wants to know what is going on in the MCU after Avengers. We're all kind of a bit, hmm, what's happening? And I think this will give us some clues as to what's coming for Avengers Endgame later in the quarter. So other big films, uh, jumping back to the kids theme, uh, we have the Lego Movie 2. I love the first Lego Movie, I thought it was brilliant, uh, I really like the ending, interested to see how they link that into this new one. This one looks like it's got the humour in it again. We've So one that's of particular interest for me, because my family involved in the promotion uh, of this film in America, okay. is Boy Erased. Certainly sort of my cousin in New York is very heavily involved in the production and the real life people she knows quite well so uh, that is one I'm very much looking forward to well again it comes out the same week as the Lego movie too so this is week commencing Friday the 8th of February big week for releases mm. so we're confirmed to get in this one I don't know too much about it so uh, I'm quite interested to, so, so last to year there was a, a film called The Miseducation of Cameron Post which is about gay conversion camps in America and Boy Erased stars Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe uh, Russell Crowe plays a preacher and their son announces he's gay so they send him in for that therapy 
Uh, it's quite a powerful film. Some big hitters there as yeah. actors. I mean, I'll have to check it out online. Uh, but the same week, like I say, massive week uh, that week. We also have Alita Battle Angel. This film, it has IMAX release, 3D written all over it. Uh, if you've not seen the trailer, go and check it out. The CGI on this is incredible. The way it blends with the real life actors and everything that's kind of around it. It's very difficult to tell what's real and what's not. Is it based on a comic? Yeah. Yes. It's based on a Japanese manga comic that's God, it's been going for ages. Yeah. Really been going for a long time. I believe they did a short series of cartoons. sort of anime yeah. cartoons as well. So yeah, yeah, really interested in in checking that one out. And like I say, all three of those so Lego Movie 2 Alita Battle Angel Boy Erased all the same week and then a couple of other smaller releases dotted around that as well all in the space of a week before we go into the following week where we have another two pretty big releases for us uh, so Instant Family this one opens on the 14th so Valentine's Day that's Mark Wahlberg I think it's, it is uh, yeah. I can imagine there'll be a few dates to come and watch a film with Mark Wahlberg in and then that's going up against The Kid Who Would Be King. Uh, we've just put the posters up for this today. Just looking at the posters, it looks kind of very King Arthur-y, uh, but brought up to date. I've only seen the poster. I don't think any trailers have been released yet. I've, I've not seen one. I know Joe Cornish wrote and directed it, and he did Attack the Block. Yeah. Uh, has worked in a, in a few Hollywood I think yeah, the Tintin film he partly scripted that as well he did yeah he so. tends to do because uh, I know about Attack the Block uh, I had a few friends that were extras and stuff in that so I knew all about that but look at that cast from Attack the Block and where they are now oh, Jodie yeah. Whittaker yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joe Boyenia top talent absolutely yeah so he's clearly got an eye for it and I believe this is uh, breakout actors as well so it's their first performances with a couple of old hands thrown yeah. in there you know everything we've spoken about so far and this is back into january february and through into march and what a range you've got award potential award winners there yeah. some that are very highbrow family films all action films and that's the great thing about working in cinema in this day and age and especially for cine world i mean we're one of the leaders in the industry when it comes to our range of content yeah i'm just going through what we're going to be showing in Cheltenham but if you go just up the road to Gloucester they'll be showing things we won't be showing over Christmas here we had a Polish subtitled version of Bohemian Rhapsody so uh, yeah it's a wide 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 range especially over the first quarter and it just continues for the rest of the year obviously we'll cover it on future podcasts but just off the top of my head there's some live action Disney remakes and CGI so there's yeah. we've got Dumbo coming up we've got Aladdin we've got Mulan we've got Lion King, Lion King yeah. which I'm going to put it on record now mark my words that will be the biggest film for us of 2019 I think Dumbo's going to do it I Big think hit. the look of that film and what Burton has done with it I think it's going to be amazing although Phil Foster has commented on it that uh, he reckons it's a follow-on from Batman Returns, the Michael Keaton-Danny DeVito connection. <laughs> uh, I'll wait and reserve judgment until I've seen it. Big, big Tim Burton fan, as yeah. you guys know, so yeah. I'm really looking forward to that one as well. And, yeah, there's some massive, massive hitters out this year. I haven't even really talked about Avengers Endgame, which we know it's going to do the business. But I think there might be some smaller films in there or films that are coming back into fashion that might take us by surprise, uh, Men in Black International. 
Yeah. Being yeah, one, you know, it's been... I called it Thor and Valkyrie back together. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a lot to watch out for this year, and as much as I think last year in the cinema industry was one of the best years cinema have had, I, I genuinely think this year is going to be bigger. Yeah, and one of the things I think will happen as we go through the year is I can see Netflix putting more and more of their films in cinema first because they've yeah. got a taste of awards with Roma. And the only way you're going to do that is get your films into cinema yeah, first. Absolutely. And I mean, it's one on my to watch list. I've not caught Roma yet, but I've watched um, Bird, Bird Box, Box. Bird yes. Box recently and Annihilation. Uh, Bird Box, I was a little bit disappointed with the ending, um, having read the books. Very different. Uh, but Annihilation, if you've not seen it, yeah. go and check it out. It's, yeah, it was fantastic. You're a big fan of that, aren't you? Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. It was, yeah. So yeah. I think. Whilst Netflix is pushing out some really top top content, um, the way to get it into the awards is to get it into cinemas. And, because, and I think they've seen that with Roma. Yeah, because as much as I love watching things at home, I, I mean, I've got a pretty big telly as it is. You're not going to beat the sound, the experience, yeah. and the big screen at cinema. Yeah, because as you say, I mean, it, it, there's nothing. When you're in the cinema, you can just concentrate fully on it. You've got no distractions. If you're at home, it's easily, very yeah. easily distracted. And as I've said before, we all know that cinemas, it's not cheap. Uh, you know, it is very much uh, an expensive day out, but I think people pay for the experience, and that's what we try and give people is that top experience they get immersed in the film they forget yeah. about whatever's going on in the outside world just for a couple of hours and then afterwards they go out and they have something to talk about and get together with friends and chat about films and yeah. films they've seen and go and watch it together in the social aspect we're really excited for what the future holds especially this year uh, in future podcasts there, there'll be some more information coming but uh, it's going to be an exciting year for Cheltenham especially so watch this space people yeah. of Cheltenham so we've mentioned about you know what deals you can get with unlimited cards and, and certainly the special show wins I think are, are worth it on their own um, any other messages you want to give out to unlimited or any other of your customers well so to focus on the unlimited first of all obviously we've talked about the special screenings if you come multiple times you know you only really need to come three times in a month and you've covered the money you're paying for it we were just having a discussion about uh, emails that people receive saying how much they've saved for the year and some of the numbers are staggering. Um, I, I was telling you guys about my father-in-law who's a hardcore, unlimited uh, user. He saved a lot of money. We're talking four numbers. Yeah, Phil uh, Foster, listen to this and weep. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so we're looking at over £2,000 that he saved uh, in films that Haddy would have paid full price for so it's fantastic on top of that you've got the discounted food so a lot of people forget about that all unlimited customers uh, card holders get 10% discount on the food in their first year anything after that it goes up to 25% so it's fantastic and then on top of that we have our national partners so Bella Italia uh, many of the other restaurant chains uh, it can all be found on our website, uh, our national partners and it's 10% off, 20% off 25% off in some cases in the national partners in terms of other messages to our customers there's been a, a bit of confusion over the last couple of weeks that on behalf of you know Sydney World and Cheltenham we want to apologise to our customers for because uh, we actually merged our Screening Rooms website with our main Sydney World website and it led to con some confusion that's all sorted now thankfully um, so you can find all of our times just through the Cheltenham section now for 
myself and Rob, who's the general manager here, uh, we're actually departing from Cheltenham very soon. Um, we're going to miss it greatly. I'm very lucky that I still get to pop back every now and again, but Rob's going on to pastures new. And good news for us is we're going to continue talking. I really enjoy doing this with you guys. Uh, it's very good for us. I think what you do is fantastic. It's actually inspired me to start my own podcast, which will be uh, be quite nice, actually, to, I think, maybe interview you guys for once and me be on the other side of it. So well, maybe. We're more than happy to. Well, yeah, so where absolutely. can we find your podcast? Uh, so it's on SoundCloud at the moment. It's called Right on the Mic. Uh, Mike, spelled M-I-K-E, and Right, W-R-I-G-H-T. Uh, right being me, Steve Wright, and I'm doing it with my friend Mike, so hence the Right on the Mic. <laughs> Uh, clever play on words see <laughs> uh, we're also on Twitter uh, which is right at the mic pod and we are just about to start up our own Instagram as well which is right on the mic pod as well we're looking to go out on iTunes but I'm going to pick these guys brains first and get their expertise before we do that and hopefully it does as well as this because I think this is fantastic and we appreciate all the support yeah, you give us yeah, you're going to be and, and you're going to be picking sort of topics at random that you want to... Discuss. So, yeah, ours is going to be slightly different. Uh, we are still going to be reviewing films, but it may be that it's new films that are coming out, but mainly it's films that I've not seen, which, working in cinema, you'd think there wouldn't be many, but uh, there are some that are quite shocking that I really should have seen. I'm setting my uh, my friend Mike the challenge of reviewing some films he's never seen that I really enjoyed. We're also going to be looking at gaming because we're both big gamers. So any new games releases that are coming out as well as us just picking just random topics and just having a chit chat. Both of us are big fishermen and we, we go out, sit on the banks fishing and we usually end up talking absolute rubbish and arguing to the high heavens about who's right and who's wrong. And we thought, why not stick it on a podcast so everyone else can hear us? argue like a married couple well we're looking forward to listen to that and we'll certainly um we'll have a discussion on that on our next catch-up yeah absolutely cool okay well that's brilliant well thank you very much and we'll leave this as a tease listening next time for some important news about cheltenham cinema absolutely yes uh, i will have more details next time steve it's been a pleasure as always thank you very much I'll see you in a couple of months see you soon <laughs> Some great films there that I really want to see. Back to the present and let's get to the news desk for some movie news. Okay, Graham, over to you to start this month. This had better not be Gibson news. No, the tank is empty. I've had to find <laughs> another of your likes of 2019. Oh, hang on. You don't mean... I do. Oh, Gibson off. This is a whole script of news about Gerard butler he has made some good films he's also made some of the worst and most annoying films out there that is true <laughs> even the current day bruce willis is better than this <laughs> with the exception of death wish obviously and obviously reading this for want of a better word script the first film to talk about is angel has fallen oh good grief the third in the has fallen series just like my heart whenever i get movie news scripts from jeff Hang on a minute. Olympus Has Fallen was a great, tough thriller. No, it wasn't. It was. It was was good. And London Has Fallen. Was terrible. No, it was a bit silly, but it was okay. It's how we should deal with those terrorists. (laughs) It It was was shockingly bad. Okay.
Let's just stop at silly, shall we? Okay, the good news is Angel Has Fallen is the last in the series. This time, Mike Banning goes on the run because he is framed after an attempt on the president's life. Another attempt, right? Okay, not sure who will be the president as Aaron Eckhart is not returning. Seems there are some things money cannot buy. The cast this time around includes uh, returning Morgan Friedman, Tim Blake Nelson, recently seen in The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Nick Nolte and Jada Pinkett-Smith. Filming took place last year mainly in London, Scotland and Bulgaria. And you can see this if you really want to when it opens in August. Well, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at the front of the queue for that. Team outing, guys? Uh, no. no, Jeff. Okay, right. Okay, well, hang on a minute. So we've now spoken about Angel Has Fallen. I don't think that's all the Mr. Butler news we've got this month. Is that right, Graham? No, Jeff, and I'm sure I can sue you for mental cruelty for making me read this out. Also coming out is a comedy called All-Star Weekend, which stars and is directed by Jamie Foxx. Jamie, wouldn't anyone else join you in your film? (laughs) Hang on, guys, let's do a fact check, okay? Gerard Butler and Jamie Foxx are really good friends. Mr Foxx contacted our (sighs) Scottish colleague directly and asked him to be in his movie. Whatever. The plot revolves around, and I'm rushing through this because I just want to get done with this Gerard Butler nonsense. The plot revolves around two friends who become rivals over their fan worship of NBA star LeBron James and Stephen Curry. In the movie, Gerard Butler plays a crazy psychopathic drug dealer or playing to time. Not sure how that fits in with the plot details I've just read out. Also in the cast are Robert Downey Jr., Benicio Del Toro, and Eva Longoria. Finally, coming later in the year, is the animated epic Naya, Legend of the Golden Dolphins. It is about Naya and her mission to save the Earth. The last time Gerard Butler was in an animated film was How to Train Your Dragon. So fingers crossed, this could actually be worth watching. We will send our animation expert, Neil, to this first. Thanks, Graham. (laughs) Hold the front page. Jeff has just passed me some late breaking news. Jeff Gibsonov. You've done it again. You've managed to find some Mel Gibson story. There is now a release date for Dragged Across Concrete. Oh, he should be. It opens on the 19th of April, the day after it comes out in Russia. Thanks, Jeff. I need to lie down. Is that in the UK? It's coming out in the UK. It is. It is coming out in the UK. Oh, for for Easter. Put it in the diary. Well, you're absolutely. I mean, Mel's good at Easter. Passion of the Christ. What a fantastic oh, film that was. And you Nick, know what? Of course, there's going to be pressure on me now from everybody on Twitter to go and see this pile of crap. Yes. It's your review film for April. No, it's no, I'm not, not reviewing that. I am never reviewing a Mel I think Gibson. he might want to do Avengers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Avengers, Mel. It's easy. Okay. Thank you, Graham. And <laughs> You're welcome. You had the dizzy and heights there of Gerard Butler, of which I'm envious, because I'm just going to be talking about Tom Cruise and the Mission Impossible films. Oh, Gibson off. You won't be saying that when you have to review Dragged Across Concrete. <laughs> Again, not like, going to happen. <laughs> be nice. Writer-director Christopher McQuarrie, not Dragged Across Concrete, this time Mission Impossible, clearly had a blast working with Tom Cruise. To date, he's directed him in the first Jack Reacher film. Sorry, Tom, you were just too short for Jack Reacher. <laughs> Can't disagree. Then in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, and one of the best action films in recent years, Mission Impossible Fallout, just outside my top ten. Agreed. 
Brilliant. Well, it seems no mission is impossible for the star and the director, as they've recently announced the plan to make Mission Impossible 7 and 8 back-to-back, starting later in 2019. No word yet on the cast, plot or crazy stunts, but I would be surprised if Simon Pegg, Bing Rames and Rebecca Ferguson aren't in there somewhere. Indeed, we may even see more of Sean Harris and Jeremy Renner. We missed the last one thanks to that Marvel nonsense. <laughs> he wasn't in the last one. He wasn't even one, in it. No. He was filming the one that's coming this year. Oh, oh right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, that's filming has yeah. been going on for years. It seems centuries to me. But oh, anyway. Sh- anyway, the plan is filming will start after Tom Cruise finishes Top Gun 2. If all goes to plan, then Top Gun 2 and Mission Impossible 7 will both open during the summer of 2020. The other Mission Impossible film, number eight, for those that aren't counting, Neil, opens a year later. Now, we don't know any details as yet. However, I would be surprised if the two films are not connected in some way. It may well be possible that these two will make the final Mission Impossible for Tom Cruise. After all, he'd be almost 60 by then, a few years younger than you, Neil. And there there must be a limit to the amount of insane stunts he does. We'll give you more details as we get them. Neil, over to you. Thanks, Jeff. As with Tom Cruise, I'm going to be talking about an old favourite, a new screen version of the Daphne du Maurier classic Rebecca. What makes this version stand out? Being directed by Ben Wheatley of High Rise and Free Fire fame from a script by Jane Goldman, who previously wrote the screen version of The Woman in Black, which I've never seen. Filming is due to get underway in the spring with a cast that includes Lily James, Baby Driver, Darkest Hour, Arnie Hammer, fresh from his excellent performance in On the Basis of Sex. For those who don't know the story, it's a gothic romance about a woman who marries an aristocrat but finds herself living in the shadow of his deceased first wife called Rebecca. No word yet on who is playing Mrs Danvers, one of the other key parts. Given all that talent, it should be very good. My only worry is it is part funded by Netflix, so not sure that this will actually get to cinemas. Another point to pick up in our cinema against streaming discussions. Okay, guys, let's have a musical interval and Neil will lie down before the review starts. <laughs> Nighty night, Neil. Night. And now, at, at the Flicks, it's time to go talk to our contributor, Lucy. Hi, Lucy, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. How are you all? Oh, brilliant. Very well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, it's Glad to hear that. great being in a room with Neil, as always. Um, <laughs> so, before we go into the show proper, I've got to ask you about uh, an article you put out, which seems to have caused a lot of controversy, but it's a brilliant article about going to the cinema alone. I mean, what prompted you to write it? I've been thinking about it for a little while because since setting up the blog, I have been going on my own a lot. And I was just curious to see if other people did and, you know, the kind of responses that they might get from other people. Because sometimes in the office, I'll say, oh, I'm going to see a film. And they'll go, oh, who with? And it's like, self. (laughs) You know, it's it's a really odd question to ask somebody. I mean, the first thing I would ask is what you're going to see. You know, that's more important to me than who you're going with. Like, it doesn't matter. That's actually a really good point. it, it, it It just feels so 
pointless of a question that it just it, it, i know it's a trivial annoyance but to me it's just a, a, it's really unnecessary and some people they tend to just assume that you're automatically going with somebody and i just don't think it's right personally i just thought i would write my experiences you know going on my own and the kind of discrimination that i have had in the past i mean thankfully it's been less bad recently but you know there, there are some idiots out there there really is and you just gotta sort of just not let them bother you <laughs> And that yeah. is kind of the message of the article is even if people do laugh at you or take the mick out of you, it doesn't matter. That's their problem, not yours. You know, you're having a good time. That's all that matters. So that's why I wrote it. I, I agree. And say so some of the comments that the article received, to me, just astounding. I, I just wouldn't, these days, I wouldn't even think twice about mm. it. But it's a brilliant article, and I would say to... Oh, any, thank you very a, much. Thank you. Know, any of our listeners that uh, want to check this out, where can they find it, Lucy? It's on my blog, lucygoestohollywood.com, and it's called The Solitude Stigma. It's the one right at the top, so you can click on that and have a read. And Phil Foster, it was written with you in mind. (laughs) 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 Okay, so let's go to the main part of the show. So, first show of the year, we're looking forward to what's coming. What films are you looking forward to this year? Yeah, so I've got two lined up next week. Um, Stan and Ollie and Mary Queen of Scots. Very excited for both of those. Mm-hmm. Mary Queen of Scots, I'm less sort of... I'm a bit apprehensive about because I'm not really a period drama person. I am willing to give it a chance. <laughs> I've got a big hang-up on that oh, film. Oh, God, here we go. Yeah. Oh, Mary yes. Queen of Scots would have spoken in a French accent. She spent most of her life in France. But no, she speaks in a Scottish accent. You've got to kind of accept that they're not always going to be historically accurate. That's and it is true. annoying. I know. It is annoying. <laughs> but I, I tend to walk into these just thinking, eh, it's a Hollywood adaptation of it. Let's just take yeah, it with a pinch of salt, exactly. you know? I, I like Saoirse Ronan a lot, and I oh, like Margot yes, Robbie so as I. well. So yep. really looking forward to seeing those two together. And obviously Stan and Ollie, you know, Laurel and Hardy, iconic. Really want to see those. I'm going with my boyfriend for our fourth anniversary, so that'll be nice. <laughs> oh, Cinema trip. Very yep. nice. So, yeah, he loves Laurel and Hardy as well, so that'll be a lovely oh, experience. It, it, um, it'll be a treat for him. I, I just found the whole thing yeah. wonderful. Right. Definitely. Definitely. It was just fabulous. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that moment when you you actually just drop into the film and you think, right, I'm in the film now. It was almost mm-hmm. from the second or third minute I was just so in with him. And it, I said to Jeff afterwards, it's like watching your grandparents having a good time. You know, oh. it was it, it's something of your childhood that you really loved and it was just fabulous. And I learned so much. I, I had no idea that they did a tour of Britain in the 50s. I had no idea that these unbelievably iconic characters were ripped off. They yeah. had no money. It yeah. was just Through shocking. Some, somewhat of their own fault, which does well, come out. they did the have seven wives just between the two mind, of them. Seven right. wives between them. Bear, bear in mind, Lucy hasn't seen it yet. No, yeah, okay. Well, well, okay. <laughs> I'm giving her the spoiler, you know. So, going further forward, what other films that hopefully these two haven't seen that you're looking forward to? Yeah, these ones, none of these have come out yet, so you will not be able to spoil anything for me. <laughs> so, Jordan Peele, who did Get Out, has got a new one coming out called Us. Do you know what? I'm very excited for. I still haven't seen Get Out. Oh, what? You must. what? Yeah, I've not. seen half of it. Fantastic film. Yeah, You had to hide then. Neil. I had to watch half of it Is and then I switched it? off. Lucy, the the plot for this is still under wraps, isn't it? Yeah, it's the trailer is a little bit vague, actually. I think it's nice, though. It's refreshing to see a trailer that doesn't just give everything away. 
I'm kind of excited to learn more as it's sort of released. I don't know much about it, frankly. <laughs> I just know that I really like the look of it. So apparently people go into a beach house, they want to have some fun time with their friends, you know, vacation. But then some visitors arrive unexpectedly and then chaos reigns, essentially. And that's all we know. It's like a home invasion thing on holiday. And that's about, that's all we know, which is good because, you know, it's fresh and it's exciting and I'm not sure what to expect, so... Yeah, okay. I really hate the trailers that spoon feed everything. Like, that's yeah. really bad. And I love him as a director, so I have high hopes. So I'm really hoping that it is good. The next one I have on my list is um, Netflix's Velvet Buzzsaw with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. That looks mad, but I'm very excited for that. It's a Netflix exclusive, so it'll just be on their streaming platform. I don't think it's getting a cinematic release at all. Okay. But it's like a, mis a mystery thriller about an unknown artist and a supernatural force. And again, not really sure what's going on, but it looks good. It's got Jake Gyllenhaal, John Malkovich, um, a couple of other names as well. Wow. So excited for that. Tony Collette is in it as well. Oh, wow. Very excited. <laughs> Big names. <laughs> yeah, yeah I love Tony yeah. Collette. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had that discussion Does before. He, yeah. And Douglas will <laughs> yes, have it we again. Have, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, let's see if she's Oscar nominated Tuesday, eh? Because I'll, I'll, I'll be sending you Twitter messages or whatever if she if she isn't. Okay, no, that's and that's a, not a film I've actually heard of. I so. know I haven't heard of it, and it's certainly no. not yeah, popped it's, up on my it's list. It's kind of quiet at the moment, but you'll probably be on Twitter if you like have a look for Velvet Buzzsaw. You'll probably see a few things on there about it. And what okay. what Which, is it? Is it a, is it a horror or is it a thriller? It's meant to be like a psychological horror, so oh, right. not like your, your classical jump scare, like craziness. More more Silence of the Lambsy. <sighs> You know, so not not really like blah, but more like in in your head and that kind of thing. All from right. what I can tell, all right. so it looks pretty good. Okay, there's quite yeah. a, quite a lot on my list actually. That's all right. <laughs> like Go for it. it. Next one is Rocket Man. Oh uh, yes. Very excited yeah. for Rocket Man. Love Elton John. Mm. I did love Bohemian Rhapsody, so I'm interested to see another musical biopic. And That'll be fun. And at least Brian Singer can't try and take the credit for this one. Yes, very true. Very true. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, and it's the it's this is the film that Paramount are betting the company on. This is their film, and they're in a terrible financial mess at the minute. Paramount Pictures. All oh, right. And this is oh, their dear. this is their way to get out of it. Apparently. So, what appeals to you in that film? I, I think the aesthetic looks lovely. I think the lead guy, and I've completely forgotten his name, which Taran is terrible. Taran Edgerton. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Taron Egerton looks fantastic. I just think the overall aesthetic looks great. You know, it'll be great to see his songs come to life. I don't think we've had a big biopic about Elton John, so that'd be really cool to see. Obviously, it's got big shoes to fill after Bohemian Rhapsody because, you know, it's kind of the <laughs> Big shoes, of the Elton biopics. John, nice one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was unintentional. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited for it. You know, I love factual things. I love biopics, and I'm very interested to see how what line they go down. Though I appreciate I take the risk of it not being very good and I walk out disappointed, but that's a risk you just have to take. Um, I really hope they do it justice for him because he's such an icon, like such a legend, and yeah. I really want to see it. <laughs> I think it's good, and I'll definitely be watching it. The, the thing that worries me with these sort of films is if the person's still alive, there's always a chance yeah. they'll be too reverential. I, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, uh, you know, Dexter Fletcher, I thought... Did a really good job. He filmed the last couple of weeks of Bohemian Rhapsody. And clearly, he was involved with John Ottman and all the editing. So I'm hoping that he can recreate that here. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, but Bohemian Rhapsody did set the bar very, very high. Well, made a lot of money. So mm -hmm. he did make an awful lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like for you, Lucy, seeing music from our generation? <laughs> it's, it's it's wonderful, you know. And I I've always loved Queen. I got into Queen through my granddad, and he actually went to see the film recently. He went to see it by himself, and he loved it. 
Um, right. And it was just, it was really nice to hear because, you know, I, I listened to Queen on tape when I was a kid. <laughs> so I really loved that. You know, I just think it's wonderful, like, bringing these rock icons to life, especially for the generation after me. You know, Freddie Mercury would be long dead by that point. So it's just wonderful yeah. to bring him back to life and immortalise him because he was such a legend. You know, mm. and love him or hate him, he did have such a, a wonderful stage presence and he was just such you know, a drama queen and all this oh, stuff. Yeah. So it was just so wonderful. Well, um, Graham saw Queen live. So. Yeah, and me. Oh, oh, yeah. so yeah. 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 I saw him. Yeah, I saw, oh. I saw, London. saw him at Wembley. He was yeah. brilliant. Oh, and I saw, I saw Elton John live twice. Yeah, both times. Oh, wonderful. He was phenomenal. You know, you mm-hmm. watch somebody and you think, yeah, they're a big star. But this guy's working his ass off. He's really, mm-hmm. he's, do, he's, you know, he's Sorry. playing the piano. He's Yeah, he's from uh, around where I used to live as well, which is, um, yeah. yeah, quite yeah. proud of him. Uh, yeah. Lucy has just yeah, given the quote of the night, okay? What's that? I got into Queen through my granddad. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks, I noticed Lucy. it. I wasn't going to say anything. anything. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's all right. No, it's, it's all right. Hang on. No, it's, it's just time for our tablets. I'm just going no, to get my synatogen. <laughs> another then, another cocoa anything, for you, you, Jeff. I hope that our generation likes this kind of music. That's so right. <laughs> and, and early Elton John is superb. Yeah. I don't yeah. Oh, yeah. The rest yeah. of it, maybe not, but yeah. uh, early yeah. Elton John was magnificent. It's up there with last month's I saw Incredibles as a child yeah so, you know yeah. that just puts I did, everything yeah, I, I was yeah. a tiny human at that yeah. point <laughs> didn't need to rub it in Liz yeah um, thank you <laughs> yes I'm sorry but you did anyway <laughs> right okay oh, swiftly great. moving on what we got next uh, yeah so let's have a look at my list uh, Avengers Endgame I'm yep. excited for because after the absolute craziness that was Infinity War I want to see how they're going to wrap that up frankly <laughs> Um, did you guys see Infinity War? Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Several times. Yeah, man, that was crazy. That was a crazy ride. <laughs> yeah. I think Captain Marvel's going to be a key in it, perhaps. I, I want to see that one as well, actually. That is on my list yeah. for sure. Mm. Um, lovely to see a female protagonist as well. Absolutely. You know, just, yes. just throwing it out there. Yeah. You know, I don't care about all this stupid comments on social media. She's doing a great job and I won't hear otherwise. Yeah. My daughter sent me a, a thing the other day uh, with all, you know, they've done a whole series of posters for Captain Marvel. And they had, she sent me pictures of Nick Fury and all the male characters. And, and her comment was, why are these guys not smiling? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah, I thought, exactly. and I thought, good on you, Kate. It's insane that they picked up on that. Oh, that's just so, Yeah. I just, it's just ridiculous. Want, yeah. Sometimes you just want to punch people. It really is. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, and my my last one is that the new Godzilla actually looks a lot of fun. I love Godzilla. So just go for loud screaming and monsters attacking each other. I'm here for that. So that looks fun. That's a very, it's a cinema movie. Yeah. You know, it's not going to win any awards, but I think it's going to be good mm-hmm. fun anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my kind of condensed list. They're the top ones. Oh, that's excellent. Um, looking forward to that, yeah. <laughs> So, Lucy, what trends are you hoping will continue in cinema this year? I really love this question because I wanted an excuse to talk about Black Mirror Bandersnatch on Netflix, which was Netflix's first interactive film where you could basically choose your own adventure. And that worked so well on that streaming platform. And I really want to see that happen again. Like, I think interactivity, you know, is the future. And I think it would be really cool to, like, have the audience decide what happens. I just, I think for, for a big tech nerd like me, I think it's a fantastic idea. Oh, like, I, I really want it. I, I want to just keep seeing it. <laughs> I, I agree. Although, didn't 70% of people choose the Rice Krispies? Yeah. Ah, that went right over yeah, that, my that, head. Yeah, was, that was a hard choice. You know, it was, it was a difficult choice, that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are various 
points in the in the plot where you can choose what happens next. That's really good. Did you guys um, have a go at that at all? No, or... no, I didn't. I haven't. No. I, I've, it's on my list. God, Lucy, you want to see my to watch list on oh, on I'm Netflix? Sure. I, yeah, it's I just fun. don't want to spoil anything. Sex education <laughs> is. Uh, Sex I've education. Already watched that and. Oh, I'm not sure about that one. That's it. It's, oh, it's, we're going to name drop now. It's screamingly funny. Oh, it is unbelievable. Oh, okay. oh, and, okay. and it's cringeworthy as well. There are points. I haven't had a moment of cringiness since David Brent, really. Oh, yes. Yeah. And mm. there is a moment. Oh, I'm not even going to go because I'm actually cringing now just thinking but there's of it. some laugh out loud moments oh, if you can remember back we just you have to remember back to when you were a 16 17 year old and and, okay. and, 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 and and all the hormones were kicking and, and in and just just very funny as yeah. Cesar Butterfield is hugely funny and Gillian Anderson Anderson is she's is wonderful superb yeah as uh, his mother his mother's a sex, sex therapist. therapist. Yes. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. I think I'll and of course, that's the way he's been brought up. So it is just so funny. Yeah. We <laughs> we um, we but, interviewed the location manager on it, uh, Mitch Ferguson, which is coming out in our February show, and he was oh, brilliant. Wow. We went down to Stratford. He was doing some work for BBC down there, and we we were chatting to him, and we were talking about sex education. We were chatting to him, and he said. <laughs> He said, yeah, he said, uh, I got called in by the writer, director, and he said, you know, this is what we want to go for. And he said to Midge, and uh, Midge is steep, his knowledge on cinema and TV is brilliant. And this director said, uh, you ever heard of a chap called John Hughes and some of the films he did in the 80s? And Midge said, well, I told him to f*** there and then. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, um, he said, of course I do, of course I do. And so that's the feel they went for it. And a lot of people are saying they're not sure what time it's set in. They're not sure where it's set. No. And, and so what Midge did, he picked all his favourite places around the Wye Valley in Wales. And that's where a lot of the, uh, the filming took place. And the word, we haven't heard from Midge yet, but the word we're getting is uh, it's going to be a second series of it. Yeah. Oh, it definitely okay. has to be. And I got to the end and went, "What? That's it? Are you kidding me? I want more." Oh. But it, it's um, it's a very sort of England Wales border thing, uh, and it's also high school instead of a sixth form college or or a sixth form. It's a so sixth form. They college. refer yeah, yeah. to it's a it's a very sort of um, neutral venue. Yeah, it's um, very it's brilliant. well done. Yeah. yeah. It could yeah. be anywhere mm. in the world. Yeah. You have, I, I don't know. You have to watch it. You don't have to watch it, but it's one it's of my favourites. I laughed out loud in each set, each, yeah. each episode. Yes. I think I'll check it out then because I think you know, seeing the promo materials for it, you kind of think, <laughs> oh, is this just going to be terrible, like terrible, cringy, like teen comedy? But no. I'll give it a go. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm I'm very judgmental. I think there's <laughs> so some. We'll we, give it a go. We look forward to your views. There's yeah. a few scenes in the first episode where you go, oh. God, no, you can't put that on TV. <laughs> uh, and you go, no, that is that appropriate. It's interesting because one of the themes we're going to be coming back to this year, and, and certainly yep. something I'd like to talk to you in the future, if you don't mind, is streaming against cinema and where we stand at the moment. Okay, yeah, uh, and absolutely. Because we've now spoken about Mirror, we've spoken Sex Education, both Netflix. So, yeah, we'll definitely come back to that. Mm. So, on regard to trends, what else have you got on your list there? Yeah, I think I would also love to see more female protagonists. And I think 2018 was so great for that. You know, we have so many wonderful women who dominated the screens last last uh, year. The Favourite and Widows, for example, and Toni Collette to an extent in Hereditary, you know, all mm. of these fantastic, wonderful female leads that are taken seriously and they're not tokenistic. I want to see more of that. Okay. You know, I want to see because I just think it's wonderful. 
and yeah, I, I mean, I, I love the favourite as well. And I thought oh, Olivia Coleman was fantastic. She was Superb, just, she's yeah. just stole the show. She really yeah. did. You know, and she portrayed that kind of, I don't want to say insanity, but she was clearly struggling with an illness that wasn't quite understood, you uh-huh. know, back in those days. You uh-huh. know, her, she, she was very confused about a lot of things. And, you know, she was very clearly had an eating disorder and this sort of thing as well. And it was just really nice to see that portrayed on screen, I suppose. And the yeah. 17 mm-hmm. children and all that sort oh, of stuff. Oh, that was and so the whole sad. Thing. And, 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 and the, the rabbits as substitutes for her yeah, children. Just, and, oh, yeah. your heart, your heart I, went out to her. Yeah. And the fish, know, fish think, eye lens. Yeah. Oh, just shut up! Oh, there wasn't so much of it. Cut oh. it out, I, Jeff. I did. I didn't like that. I will admit. I, I agree on that one. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll let that one slide. <laughs> I mean, for me, I'd lo- I, I really loved the, the script. Reminded me of a film called All About Eve, Bet Davis film yeah. from 1950, yeah. 51. But it's acid. I mean, you'd have to watch that film three, four times to pick up all the one liners. Yes. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And they were brilliant. And I just thought. Okay, the little things like that fisheye lens didn't need it. The really irritating music score could have toned that down a little bit. But you know that. Other than that, the performances. Mm. I, I think personally, I think Emma Stone is being overlooked because yes, I thought yeah, she all was the focus is on Olivia Coleman, yep. and I oh, think she was Stone, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah. But I thought Stone was brilliant. I and Rachel Stone. Weiss mm. was brilliant yeah, as well. Was, yeah. And all three of them As were, a yeah. three-hander, that was the just The way perfect. she just sort of, emotionless almost, to sort of um, yeah. walking around controlling absolutely everything, controlling England. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And, and the other thing I liked was the men in, in, the, in the thing oh, were all bloody idiots. Useless. <laughs> and, and pop, the Parliament of today. Yeah, popping jays. You know, that, with the, those stupid yes. wigs yes. and, you know... And just... yes. We smog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the haunted wardrobe of Westminster, yes. yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I just thought I couldn't fault the bloody thing. And I know the, the fish-eyed lens, but that just passed me by because I was having such a great time. Yes. I think it was so smart, though, and I think, you know, it was very clever the way that Emma Stone's character kind of came in and you you liked her because she was, like, lovely and kind and, yeah. you know, complimentary. And but funny. then she, yeah. But yeah. then she really, you know, spoiler alert, takes a turn yes. later on. And yeah. then you think, wow, I, I, I was, you know, tricked by you as well. Yeah. You yeah. know, you just you, you feel deceived also. And I think that was such a good performance from her. And did she win? How she, she did. Exactly. No, nobody won. Yeah. Everybody no. lost. No, everybody, everybody lost. Everyone lost, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But I liked the way that she was constantly put down. And people actually physically pushed her over and shot her and, and did mm-hmm. horrible things to her. And she just bounced back up and got her own back. And I thought, yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. she just yeah. keeps going. She's not stopping. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. The three cleverest people in the room. Yeah, yeah, they were. Oh, down, God, well, yeah. the three cleverest people in England. Yes. At the time, <laughs> as far as I can see. Huge yeah. things happened during yeah. Queen Anne's oh, reign. God, bloody, yes. And she was only mm. on the throne for such a short time. Yeah. What trends, film types, would you like to see less of this year in 2019? Okay, less of, I'm just going to say, I don't want any more 3D because I'm sick of 3D yep. for the sake of it. I agree. I feel like 3, 3D does not benefit a film unless it was built to be in 3D. It just and makes I'm just it, getting sick of it. Yeah, it yeah. Just, just makes it darker, doesn't it? Yeah. It adds nothing, and I just feel like it just gives me a headache, honestly, because I think it's because I wear glasses anyway, so I have to wear them on top of my glasses. Yes, yeah, so so it's, it's just snap, not a comfortable yeah. experience. No. I just don't like it. I feel like the, the 3D trend has to die, so hopefully it's this year. <laughs> and also found footage as well. I'm getting bored of found footage. Uh, I think we've had a lot of found footage in the past decade or so, and I'm just I'm like, do something else. Unless oh. you can do it well, just get rid of found footage completely. <laughs> I think Apollo 18 killed that off for me. I thought, no, this mm. is missed. 
just annoying found footage film ever. Found footage is just it's often an excuse to just be a low budget film, but it just doesn't really add anything. And no. it's like okay, you know, I, I get it if it's if it's got a purpose, if it serves a purpose, if it's like a I don't know like a a confession tape or like a haunting or something. But if it's done well, fine. Like the first Paranormal Activity was good. And then it just got ridiculous after that point, so I'm just like, just stop. Was it Paranormal Activity 2 with the hoover in the swimming pool was supposed oh, to be scary? God. Yeah. Just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also remakes. I don't want any more remakes. <laughs> I know I'm going on a rant here, but I'm just sick of seeing films get remade. And it's just really sad that's that we not, have to do this. That's our summer season you're talking about there, Liz. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I just, I don't want to see any more, though. Yeah, I, I, it's just too many. Yeah, I know. And remake ones that need to be remade. Don't remake classics that were really. Go- oh, hang on, I'm talking against myself because I really liked *A Star Is Born*. In fact, I thought that was so much. Well, the first better. one was. Well, the third one was awful. Second one was. No, okay. you're <laughs> talking about *Strike*. You're going to knock Babs Strasen again, aren't you? Is awful, no, is no, it's no, not Strasen was awful. okay, but okay. Christopherson was terrible. Oh, it's yeah. good. Hella okay. shakers, great time. I'll just shut up. Just ask your granddad about <laughs> yeah. it. We'll see. Yeah, um, it's just ask oh. your granddad. Uh, <laughs> um, the remix. What, what about horror films? Though? We haven't really touched on that. Are there any horror films, trends, or anything you're looking forward to or not looking forward to this year? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I would love to see more horror. I think we did have a good, successful horror year last year, actually. But again, um, I don't really want more sequels. You know, I feel like Halloween was very three three star at most it wasn't great i'm just sick of of sequels i want fresh horror i want more exciting horror which is why jordan peele's new one is so exciting to me because it's something that i may not have seen before and the thing is with horror it's so easy to fall into the franchise trap which has happened countless times before Mm, you know i could i could reel off like 10 examples of horror that's been franchised at this point so i would love to see fresh original horror I'd love to see more emerging indie horror films. I'm looking forward to Fright Fest this year. I must get to Fright Fest so I can see some of that. But yeah, I think it's just, I just want new things. I just want new technology, new concepts, new stories. That's something that really interests me, especially as we're going into a new year. Just leave the sequels and, and you know, franchising behind and let's do something else. But that's just me. Okay. Have <laughs> I'm just seen... very, very critical. <laughs> Have you seen Bird Box? No, I haven't actually, believe it or not. I somehow have managed to not watch Bird Box, but I will. Everyone in my office at work is like, either loves it or hates it. So it's, a, it's such a Marmite film at this point. Like, I just don't know what to think of it. Um, have you guys seen it? No, I haven't seen it. It's, no, again, it's on my no. list. It's, it's on I'm, my I'm list. hoping Neil does yeah. the Bird Box challenge, like when he's driving over you, but <laughs> he hasn't done it yet. <laughs> so oh, stupid. my God. <laughs> People are so stupid. <laughs> And I rest my case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, so, and as I always say, I mean, your views are definitely a real asset to the show. Yeah. And um, obviously thank when... when no, oh, no, thank you. And no. I will retreat any reviews you put up. And uh, again, to our listeners, please check them out because Lucy's writing is extremely good and very thought-provoking in a lot of her views. So well worth seeing. So what are your plans to further develop your media abilities this year. I think you've got some news for us, haven't you? Yeah, I do have some pretty exciting news. I've finally got my own podcast off the ground. Um, it's, it, yay! <laughs> it, it, 
finally, it's been in the works for about a year. It's officially launching next month. And I'm recording with one of the guys from Jump Cut to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. So that'll be cool. Oh, um, and then I have a bunch of guests lined up for the rest of the year because I had such an overwhelming response to my um, form on Twitter. I think I had like over 30 requests to be my guest. I was like, oh my God. So I've sort of emailed people and we've got like, you know, processes in place. To, to talk films so I'm really excited for that one I hope I'm as good as you guys I hope uh, I can do the podcast and world justice you, you, you are great no no Lucy you make us sound good so yes. uh, you will be excellent no 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 not yeah, at all you'll be perfect yes <laughs> you'll be fine oh thank you Aside from that, I I, I want to attend more film festivals. I want to do Fright Fest and London Film Festival and maybe document them as well. We'll see when they come up, but the podcast is the main thing at the moment. Very excited for that. Okay. okay. Cool. Well, <laughs> next month, we might have some film festival news here, hopefully. Mm. Okay. Well, I think we've taken up a lot of your time, and thank you very much for your time again, and look forward to talking to you more next month. Yeah, you too. Take care, guys. Cheers. 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 Bye. Thank Cheers. you. Bye. Bye. Now, for the last part of the show, it's a real pleasure to be joined by Mr. Phil Stubbs. Hello. Those of you that are regular listeners to the show will know that Phil is in the middle of making his first feature film, Last Chances. How's it going, Phil? Yeah, it's going well. We're uh, deep in post-production right now. The end is in sight, but the film's starting to take shape. Music and sound coming in. Excellent. Now, we've had a number of requests from people asking when can they see a trailer. Any idea when that's going to be, or do you want to hold on that for the moment? Uh, Trouble is, the colour grade is the last thing to be done. Right. When the film's finished, so we can't do a trailer without a colour grade on it. So it will be a while yet. But you'll let us know when it's uh, ready for our listeners to check that out? I definitely will. Thank you very much. Okay, let's go to the review section. Our first review is The Front Runner. Here's a surprise for Jeff's first review of the year. He's gone political. Rather that than a horror film, although Gary Hart might say this as a personal <laughs> horror movie, The Front Runner is the true story of Gary Hart, Hugh Jackman's attempt to become the Democratic candidate for the 1987 election for US president. He seems like the perfect candidate, intelligent and photogenic, wanting to talk about issues and not about personalities. Clearly not a role model for Orange Man, even though he was a Democrat at the time. <laughs> Very true. However, Gary Hart had a weak spot for the ladies, and this is how an almost dead cert for a presidential candidate became embroiled in a sex scandal, almost destroying both his career and home life. Jeff, do those events from 30 years ago teach us anything about modern-day politics? Yes, Neil, in a sense they do. And I think that is a target with the front runner. You certainly see a change in how politicians were dealt with by the press from those bygone 80s days. However, the film is not black and white in its approach. It doesn't side with Gary Hart. There are aspects of Hart's life which contributed to what happened to him and the moral question within the film is a key one. Praise, therefore, to the filmmakers for this approach. In fact, Hart comes over as aloof and cold. You must relate to that, Neil. As a result of that decision, the film is always interesting, however not very involving, as you don't care about the characters. What are your initial thoughts, Graham? Well, it's an interesting movie, which worked for me on a number of levels. Firstly, I remember the scandal at the time, but none of the details, so it was a nice refresher. Jackman, though, was excellent. Uh, You really got a sense of the man, driven arrogant and intelligent but with a character flaw in that he was a serial adulterer i agree 
Gary Hart was a brilliant but naive candidate, thinking that who he was was as important as what he stood for. And that's interesting because I thought this would be much more balanced because we're now in the Me Too era. In other words, look at this from the perspective of the men and women involved. The female performances, with one exception, are all textbook. It's the male performances which stand out. Hugh Jackman, who's really not dissimilar in looks to the real Gary Hart, does his best to present the presidential candidate as standoffish and slightly arrogant. It's a solid performance. And also of note is the always excellent J.K. Simmons. He takes what could have been a cliché role of the campaign manager and makes him a rather world-weary rather than an upbeat soul. In all honesty, probably the best performance in the film. Now, in contrast, the female performances are somewhat stock. The normally excellent Vera Firminga is here reduced to play in the traditional wronged wife role. Not much more to it than that, really. The only female role which for me stood out is Sarah Paxton as Donna Rice. Her performance as a woman who is both pretty and intelligent, but who never really had much luck in life, is excellent. She does bring a lot of sympathy to the role. How about you, Neil? What do you think of the balance of male and female performances? Well, politics was male-dominated in the 80s, so yes, female characters were in short supply. But we kept going back to Molly Ephraim's character to see her frozen out of discussions or getting drinks. The scenes where Ephraim and Sarah Paxton get to chat and discuss their roles in the Gary Hart roadshow was, I think, what Gary Hart was missing. Some emotion. Both Ephraim and Paxton play their decidedly low-key roles well. It was also interesting to have the charismatic Jackman play someone so driven but bland. Jackman does really well in the standout performance for me. Yeah, I also enjoyed uh, J.K. Simmons' performance. Um, I was not as impressed as Jeff was by uh, Sarah Paxton. I thought she was fine but not captivating. I much preferred the performance of Molly Ephraim as Irene Kelly fictional heart campaign scheduler. It was also great to see one of my favourite comedians, Bill Burr, played type as a sleazy tabloid journalist. Oh, and big head, Josh Brenner, from the TV series Silicon Valley, who plays Hart's political advisor. I thought he was excellent. Well, I almost didn't recognise him in the movie. <laughs> yes. OK, let's move on to the director. Now, with the exception of the awful Tully from no, last year... No, so... it was brilliant. No, it wasn't. No. <sighs> You've been drinking before you watch the film, Lance. Now, I've got a lot of time for Jason Reitman other than that one. He brings a quirky quality to his films that I really like. One of the themes that Reitman keeps coming back to in his films deals with male characters who dominate their worlds and never see the big change coming. Now, up in the air, starring George Clooney is the best example of this. And director Jason Reitman continues that theme here. He orchestrates a believable recreation of time and place and environment for that to work in. He is definitely back on form. Do you agree that this is much better than the awful Tully, Graham? No, Jeff, I do not. In this film, I like the direction and the way he made sense of all the political stuff and told the story, as well as introducing you to the main characters. There was a lot of threads to keep hold of with the characters in Hart's team and the two newspapers who broke the story. Fine direction, but the set dressing was really wonderful. Took me right back to the late 80s. So much brown. (laughs) I like Tully too. Another solid performance from Mr Reitman. Apparently he's doing an as-yet-untitled Ghostbusters project next, due for summer 2020. 
Let's forget all about Tully, thankfully, and return to what we're talking about here, the front runner. Now, while the performances never really make this film come alive for reasons that we've all spoken about earlier, I do think the script is excellent. The history of the press and American politicians is examined here. Gary Hart was the first potential president who became a media sensation because of his infidelity. Of course, there's always the story of Teddy Kennedy, but that had slightly different connotations. <laughs> now, up to the point of Gary Hart, reporters tended to leave high-ranking politicians alone. At one point in the film, Washington Post editor Ben Bradley, great performance from Alfred Molina, which I forgot to mention earlier, yeah, reminisced... was excellent. I, he, I really liked that performance. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He reminisces about JFK and LBJ yeah. and how the unwritten rule was that the press would ignore what went on. With Gary Hart, he was the organiser of his own downfall. He taunted the press to follow him, and as such broke the unofficial rules which were in place. After that, everyone became fair game. But was it justified? For me, the press, quite honestly, have a point. If Gary Hart or whoever is morally dubious, then shouldn't that be called out? If they lie on one thing, can you believe them on another? I do, however, take the point that this has indirectly led to Orangeman, someone who revels in the attention he gets and then gets away with it. So that, to me, is a fascinating argument. And I think it would have been more interesting if Gary Hart had been presented as a more sympathetic person. But of course, that would have changed history. Graham, your view on the script? I thought it was a little flat in parts. I find some of the scenes slightly too long and they laboured the point. I hoped for more detail on what the fallout was for the Democratic Party. In fact, I don't think the Democratic Party were ever mentioned in the movie. The script for me was the weak point. They were trying to tell one story and I was hoping for a more expansive story. It may be that being from the UK, we do not get all the references, but I doubt it. Uh, the trouble for me was that it wasn't as good a script as an episode of The West Wing. What's it's... that? I've never seen it. Oh, oh Jeff, come it's on. It's okay. I'm just going to ignore him. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, but West Wing sets the bar way too high for these sort of films to compete. Sorry. Right, OK, so we've had a break to something I know nothing about and can't compare. Nice one, Neil. Oh, pleasure. Do, I'll do no, that. it makes change. Yeah, yeah, we'll just point out your inadequacies as much as possible. Don't yeah, we? we will. Was there any quotable dialogue that's worth mentioning? I think there was. And the key line, and sums up everything we've been speaking about, this campaign is about the future, not rumours, not sleaze, and I care about the sanctity of this process, whether you do or you do not. It's still not as good as the West Wing. <laughs> Never seen it, so can't compare. Okay, let's talk technical. This will lose, Neil. Jason Reitman, for his cinematographer, once again uses Eric Stielberg. He seems to be his go-to guy for this work, and yet again, he's done an excellent job. Graham mentioned earlier about the brown, that washed-out look for the film, even though it's set in spring, it just yes. makes you feel autumnal, and it's great for the characters and what they're going through and the era. In fact, it shows it as almost as though it was a memory. Really good stuff. Neil, anything to add? No, really, I agree with what you say, Jeff, for once. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Spielberg caught the lighting of the 80s perfectly. The overexposed team bus was quite shocking, as was the scene where Hart dragged everyone up to the top of a mountain for a photo shoot. 
that was beautifully shot uh, and and just showed the arrogance of the man in extreme and the stupidity of dragging all the journalists out fat journalists who are used to sitting in an office right the way up the top of a mountain, mountain. silly boy yeah. you'd probably do it neil to make him watch an episode of the west wing yeah probably oh, God, okay sticking technical let's talk about music and this is an area that I'm really pleased with in the film. It's almost a time capsule of its own. It's a brilliant score. Although the film is set in the 80s, Rob Simonson's piano-based score has more in common with the political conspiracy movies of the 70s. There's a lot of Michael Small minimalist work in here, but the biggest invocation is David Shire's mesmerizing score from The Conversation. Again, that was a film about a man who was in control of his life until he was also undone by events a contender already for one of the year's best. Graham, any thoughts on the music? I'll have to take your word for it, Jeff. Was there music in the movie? I heard some disco on the boat when Hart first met Donna Rice. <laughs> and this is the quality of the people I have to work with. He'll quote <laughs> West Wing at next. Let's go to listener comments and hopefully they've got more sensible things to say. And from Phil Foster, we've got an interesting view which fits with what we've been saying about the film. As entertainment, it's a solid film. Hugh Jackman puts in a barnstorming performance as a politician, unable to grasp that his private life should be interesting to voters, and he is ably backed up by a whole range of recognisable faces, including J.K. Simmons and Vera Firminga. The period feel is expertly done showing a world not that long ago. It does, however, have lulls and doesn't maintain the momentum throughout. It certainly fits with other political morality tales, such as City Hall, and the Ides of March. Okay, guys, time to sum up. Over to you first, Neil. It's a good biopic of a politician who failed to move with the times, but it's not great, sadly. Yeah, I agree. For me, it didn't work. Good performances from all, but the script was flabby in parts. Good direction, but I was hoping for more. I was hoping for more detail on what the fallout was for the Democratic Party. Not just the fact that George Bush Sr. won, but what was the effect on Michael Dukakis, who was also a frontrunner, and his fight with George H.W. Bush? The effects on newspaper reporting, I was a little surprised that it had this extreme focus on the Hart team rather than the wider world. All in all, enjoyable, if a little disappointing. Thanks, guys. An intelligent, if overly earnest film, which tries to show events without sensationalising them, it makes a balanced case about the freedom of the press and the morality which should come from our politicians. And that clearly is a reference to today and applies equally to the UK or America. It makes for an interesting rather than involving feature. In part, this is down to the characters. They're too thinly drawn or not really likeable. But then I'm sure people would say that about us if we stood for political life. So, Phil, as you've been quietly listening to us there, would you go watch The Front Runner? I'm a huge Hugh Jackman fan. He's a very diverse performer, and uh, that sounds interesting, him being in that role. So that alone would make me want to watch it. Okay. Also set in the 80s in the political climate. It's interesting, but you guys, from what you guys are telling me, it, it doesn't sound like it succeeded in every level, but I would definitely still check it out. Excellent. Thank well, you. Jack Jackman's Thank you. very good. I mean, Jackman and Simmons are, are, He's a great actor. are the two standouts in it, hmm. um, but it just needed a bit more of a script. Okay, I'll end this by saying if you like The Front Runner, then you may also like these other movies. So we would recommend All the President's Men, the classic Watergate story, how Woodward and Bernstein from the Washington Post helped bring down a president. Where are they now? We need them. 
The senator, known in America as Chappaquiddick, and about the scandal that cost Ted Kennedy any chance of ever being president. The conversation, I mentioned that earlier, Gene Hackman stars as a bugging expert who gets caught up in a political conspiracy. Great film, fantastic David Chayes score. And finally, The Candidate. Robert Redford plays a candidate who runs for office in this 70s comedy. Let's go from this review over to Neil's for the month, Stan and Ollie. After the front runner, let's go to another true story. Neil's review this month is the highly acclaimed Stan and Ollie. I can see why Neil picked this. He reminds me a great deal of these two. Quite <laughs> often I say to him, well, that's another fine mess you've got me oh, into. Dear. I won't ask why. Um, the Stan and Ollie feature deals with the latter career of Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. By the 1950s, after some poor choices with their movies, their popularity had faded. Desperate for money, they agreed to do a tour of UK theatres with an act based around some of their most memorable routines. The tour is unfortunately fated from the start as their British producer, Bernard Delfont, hasn't publicised the event. So the initial bookings are very poorly attended. The bad news gets worse when the film deal Stan was hoping to set up falls through. Nevertheless, the two decide to continue with the theatre engagements in the hope that their classic comedy and well-known charming persona can work their magic on the British population. Did Stan and Ollie charm you, Neil? Oh, hell yes, Graham. I used to watch Laurel and Hardy, as you two did, when we were kids, as TV, put them on as fillers. Along no, with... no, I saw them on TV, Neil. You probably watched them when they were first released in the cinema. Along with, and just ignoring, not trying to ignore Jeff, along with Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, Chaplin, etc. I have mentioned this film in our first ever podcast, Things to Watch in 2018, as a must-see. I'm glad to say it was spot on. Guys, what do you think? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is charming. Performances are amazing, and we'll talk about those from Steve Coogan and John C. Wiley in more detail shortly. And all of that aspect was great, you know, throughout. And there are many performances that, that, that are great. It's just, it is good, but for me, it had a TV mentality about it. It's like, a, you know, it's a BBC-produced film and just felt like a play for today. It wasn't cinematic enough. But that's a minor quibble in what was a really good film. I couldn't disagree more. I was captivated from the beginning to the end. I absolutely loved it. I I also would use the word charming. Uh, I mean, it was like watching your grandparents doing something they enjoyed. It was part of my childhood. See, and you I can talk about Neil fun. like that, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a part of history that we don't really know about, no, isn't it? It's, we know the Stan and, Stan and Ollie films that uh phil's nodding away you've seen most of them as yeah. well we we've seen these as kids we've seen as as we grew up and it's and they they the bit the where they turned up in the uk is just not known that part of it i thought was fantastic they they came over for three tours yeah so they put these all into one sort of film I think the Irish tour was the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start off in Newcastle and it's nobody's there. But, <laughs> it's brilliant. Absolutely and, and, and brilliant. And that was the thing. It, it just it gave me an education because, you know, I think, oh, yeah, I know. Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Yep, they're the black and white guys and they're geniuses. And yes. We've all, and we've all seen it. We've all grown up with it. But then when you actually see what happened in their lives, you think, 
wow, this is really, really interesting. And they still maintained this charming quality and this fun element the whole way through the film. And I just thought, you know, you just you just fall in love with the characters all the time. Turn up at the lovely. station and Stan will drop the suitcase down the stairs yes. and they'll look at each other and go, we didn't really need that one, did we? Yeah. <laughs> and just doing little bits and pieces, still doing their material really? for people yeah. so that one person can laugh at them. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. But but the thing is, this stands or fall because we've got this familiarity with it on how they're portrayed on film. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in terms of uh, Coogan and Riley, they, they were absolutely spot on. They are Stan and Laura, as, as Gary Oldman was Churchill in Darkest Hour. Yep, I, um, I, I yeah, I totally agree. They, uh, they inhabited the bodies really, of these two uh, characters. And they really just, you know, from the first couple of minutes in, you just see them as Laurel and Hardy. You know, yeah. the, the, the illusion is perfect. They just become the characters. And as as you said, um, Laurel has two voices. Yeah, yeah. That, that really threw me a little bit, is that when they're around people or when they're in films, mm. Coogan takes on the voice that we know yes. as um, Stan Laurel. And then when they're not, film in yeah. his voice is much nearer his own i thought that yeah, was fascinating he's, he's, and the mannerisms the the way he plays himself on the film it's also some some of it still comes off off film as he's play acting and everything yeah. but but i've got a question for you neil yes do you think those performances would have worked as well without the makeup i think certainly stan laurel because coogan does look a little bit but like him and his manner and the way he played him is so good and the voice is spot on he had him perfectly and, as stan laurel yes you know, it's stan laurel his private well we can't tell what his private persona was like but he certainly yeah. had him on stage but, perfectly and john c Riley isn't big enough to play um Hardy without the prosthetics, and I think that helped because Hardy is the is the sort of the, the the fall guy on everything. He doesn't get the quick lines. He, he's always complaining, and 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 Laurel is the one who's sort of being the funny man yeah. in the, of the two, isn't he? Yeah. What I think you then see is some of the not eccentricities, but some of the real life what's going on under the skin. So with yeah. Oliver Hardy, you see the gambling. You yeah. see he doesn't yes. have that much money. Yes, and I thought Riley put that across put that yeah. across really well. Yes, he's he's constantly looking for the next bit of enjoyment, isn't he? Yeah, everything about it is is his him having fun, and I thought that came across extremely well. And, yeah. that, and I find that shocking the the point about him not mm. having any money. Mm. I did not realise that they were ripped off by the studio system. So okay, I know they brought some of it on themselves, and they had seven wives between the two of them. However, you see these big stars and everybody knows Laurel and Hardy and you think, well, they must have been incredibly wealthy because that was that time and movie stars were incredibly wealthy. No, they were scraping around for a few bob, you know. Okay, they stayed at the Ritz when they came to London, but yeah, it was Yeah, still... no, no, it's good. What do you think of the other performances, Neil? Well, I thought Nina Arianda as the uh, fifth Mrs. Laurel. <laughs> Brilliant. She, she uh, stole she, the film for me. Absolutely Brilliant. fantastic, wasn't it? She was the Russian actor, more yeah. of a dancer, as uh, Shirley Henderson says. It was I very liked under- her. Yeah, I agree. She was 
brilliant. I loved all the little things she did. Like she didn't want to sit next to Delphont and no touching and all of that. Yes. Just brilliant. I, but yes, she she was fantastic. Um, Shirley Henderson as the third Mrs. Hardy. I thought she was really good. Yeah, I think that you know the film is called Stan and Ollie. It clearly centers on these two. Yeah. And yet underneath of this, as opposed to say the front runner, which we've just been talking about, you have characters that really live. Nina Arianda, brilliant. Shirley yeah. Henderson, really good. But also Rufus Jones as Delphont. Oh, I mean, so fantastic annoying. performance. Yeah. Yes. He so, was a kind of Hal Roach with a smile, and it was yeah. a smarmy, horrible smile that you, you just went, no, 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 don't go anywhere near him. Don't sign anything. Exactly. And, but yeah, the mark of a good a good Impresario. A good and, actor yeah. when you just want to punch him. Yes. You know, and you think, but as oh, an impresario, he was perfect he yes. was spot on yeah. do these guys work i don't know shove them in newcastle see what happens hang, hang on a minute then that means you must think mel gibson's a good actor because you always want to punch him <laughs> oops <laughs> i've been undone uh, hoist by your <laughs> own petard, petard. Yeah. yes which is a small explosive so yeah i suppose that's true yeah so, yes, as 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 and as Bernard Delfont says, two acts for two double acts for the price of one, and the wides certainly were they were brilliant. Yeah. So so I think we all agreed the performances were great. What about the direction, Neil? It doesn't fall into the trap of just saying this is Stan and Ollie. These are the these are the films they did. This is the 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 little dances they did. These are the songs they did. He he makes it. Um, a, Brings in everybody a lot more. It's it's much more about the four of them, yes, um, rather than concentrating on the. And I know that's part of the screenplay as well. But I thought he did very well, ensuring that the wives got a lot more airtime than would normally happen. This is the, still the fifties. Yeah, they, the, would they have been seen very much? But uh, no, I thought he did very well there. The lovely bits where the people they meet are still going, oh, you're still going, are you? And yes. still the same material. <laughs> as if that's as if that's something and, they want to hear. Yes. And seeing the sort of raising of the eyebrows, the rolling of the eyes, oh, God, not this again. But, yeah, they just carry on. And, and, and two hugely successful performers facing retirement, yeah, which they exactly. were. Yeah. I yeah. liked the direction. I didn't get that small no, I definitely television did. feel. I was just... I was just totally engrossed from the minute the very first scene where they they walked through Hollywood uh, down to do the dance sequence. And I thought, yeah, this is great. And then, you know, you've got all the sunshine, you've got all their problems being coming out and, and Hal Roach being an absolute bastard. Oh, what a horrible man. And then, you know, it's suddenly it cuts to Newcastle and it's raining. And I thought, yeah, this is just rolling. And it just keeps going and going and going. And I, I really just, I was so into it, I probably didn't even notice. No, to me, it just felt small scale. You know, John Bard, he's a TV director. He had directed Filth a few years ago, but generally he's done for TV. And I just think it just lacked that cinematic quality. And we'll go on and talk about Jeff Pope and the script in a minute, but the same thing there. They just didn't have that expanse. For me. They didn't. It, when Laurel and Hardy were well, small screen. Yeah, they um, were. They were tiny screen. They yeah. were obviously in cinemas, everything. But the, for the likes of our generation, they were small screen. Um, and isn't that the sort of thing that we that's, are expecting? I mean, to that's, see? that's a very are. fair point. That is a fair Thank point. Very much. They weren't in cinemascope. Yeah. They weren't in. You know. No, but it just 
I don't know, the, the, a lot of the camera work was fairly static. I didn't think it moved. I just felt it was, they had a low budget and it just didn't reflect um, on uh, what we were seeing on that's screen. That's an interesting point. They did have a low budget, but boy, every penny is on the screen. Yes. I mean, uh, and I don't think at that budgetary level, you're going to get the grand sweeping vistas of Newcastle or whatever they were. No. You know, and, and they were, when they came to the UK, they were fairly much you know in theaters and and it's you're contained within the space you're given so i i don't know how you're going to go cinematic i thought some of the street scenes in london were quite open and and interesting but yeah no it just it just didn't expand out for me maybe it's me then from the way you two guys are putting it in there and also beyond um Jeff's uh, hang up. Um, prickly, the, the prickly Which relationship. Hang up. The prickly relationship yeah, off stage was point. done very well. Which hang up? Yeah. Yes. Let me list the ways. No, it's a, every <laughs> single film is something, isn't <laughs> well, it? Just um, look at hang on a bit, right? Okay, fine. I was no, going to go talk on. about. I was going to ask you about the script, Neil, but you carry on. I thought the script was fine. It was. It was perfect. Laurel and Hardy. They did. The, the, everybody got the bits that we were expecting them to. The wives got to be involved as uh, yeah. Lauren and Hardy were when once they arrived from a very long boat ride uh, where Mrs. Laurel was talking the whole time yeah. and <laughs> poor old Mrs. Hardy had to listen to her. I thought the script was absolutely <laughs> spot on. Yeah. I thought the script, the, the dynamic between the two principal characters was brilliant and the way... They got annoyed with one another, but you could actually see through that. And they said, although they were quite upset, and they could still read one another. They'd been yes. together for years, and they were sort of friends through thick and thin, and they were definitely going through thin at this point. Yeah, place. and I thought but they brought in Hardy's illness it was quite well. brilliantly done. Um, brilliantly and the, done. the ending is, is, is quite stressful, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Even though we know what the result was, but the... Oh, we history. do, but we I do. imagine there's a lot of people watching it, it that is won't. Very tense, yeah, the, and that the, came across extremely well. Yeah, and that final sequence where he's on stage and they're dancing yeah, together, that's it. yeah, that is really tense because you're thinking, is he going to make this? Is 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 something horrible going to happen? Is he going to fall a, over again? We're going to do a song. No, actually, let's do the dance. Yeah, what? what? Yeah, I thought that was <laughs> yeah. that was a nice piece of direction, yeah. well scripted. I, I think in terms of script examining these characters, it, it was spot on. I also did like one of the themes, which is how they were exploited by others. Oh, you know, you had, shocking. we mentioned Roach and Delphont, how they exploited them and got them to do work that they should have been doing at a much reduced price. Yeah. 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 And and the way that the wives also mirrored what the husbands were doing. Yeah. So the two of them, where they were getting further and further apart, so were the so were the wives, and it. Uh, and the also, the the contrast with Chaplin. You know, Chaplin got out of yeah. the studio system early, and and got control of his own career, and we could see exactly and his own money had his own money. Yeah, exactly, and and went on to be very wealthy. And the studio system screwed. Yeah, Laurel and Hardy. But a more direct comparison here is Abbott and Costello. The Abbott and Costello yeah. stuff was right punching you in the face. Yeah. Yes. So when they see that poster for for Abbott and Costello go to Mars, I think yeah. Neil, it was you that said that's the future. Yes. But the one yeah. thing that I took from that is Abbott and Costello hated each other. Costello wasn't a nice individual, no, and that's been documented many times. Yeah. So that whole innocence, if you like, mm-hmm. is 
dying or leaving with Stan and Ollie. And I yeah. think, you know, um, Abbott Costello will be remembered for a couple of sketches. You know, who's, who's on, on first? first? That's about it. And, Not... and Frankenstein and Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein, which is a great film. <laughs> okay, I'll have to trust you on that. But yeah, I think Laurel and Hardy's body of work will will live longer and is much much more substantial. The music box being the a music box, and, which is always quoted, yeah, and still very very and there's, funny. There was some lovely little throwbacks to that in the film. You know, they did a little piece which was very much like the music box, and there were lots and lots of with the box falling down, down the stairs. stairs. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there were lots of Good little point. things like that. They did some of their greatest routines, you know, for real. It was wonderful. Okay. Um, in turn, technically, kudos to the prosthetics manager Jeremy yeah. Woodhead and makeup Mark Cullier. Um, yeah. They were awesome. How they managed to get um, certainly Oliver Hardy to yeah. look yeah. anything like Oliver Hardy, and that is brilliant. Yeah. And I noticed that's not in the Oscar nominations this year, which is a big mm-hmm. surprise. Yeah. Uh, didn't they? Oh no, got it's in BAFTA. They got the BAFTA. Sorry, yes. Score anything on yeah, score? Yeah, yeah. Roth Kent. It's serviceable. I think his work at the finale, the way he orchestrates that, is excellent. Yeah, it's not really a, a standout uh, music score, but good. As far as um, a, a quote goes, just, just for one, I want listeners to help me with this one. Stan Laurel, after he's divorcing one of his wives, I'm going to find a woman that I don't like and buy her a house. A quote oft-repeated by... Gretchen Marks. Well, I'm not sure whether he ever said it. I think it's true. I've seen I've it attributed Rod, to Groucho Marx. Um, I've heard Rod, Rod Stewart, Stewart say yes, it, it. Yeah. and uh, probably loads more. But it would be interesting if anybody has some ideas on who actually said it first. Yeah. And so to listener comments, uh, Phil Foster had some very personal reasons for liking it, as we did. As a child, my brother had a number of VHS tapes. That uh, means uh, we are really old. Uh, that we had filled with recordings of Lauren Hardy films from the TV. Two of us used to watch these films on an almost infinite loop. They were hilarious. As a result, this film was nostalgic gold. The film has a number of very good qualities, aside from nostalgia, but perhaps for non-fans, it might just be a gentle-paced average watch. I found the film a joy, and if you have any affection for the duo then I suspect you might too. From Philippa, I loved it. Heartwarming and a little heartbreaking. So well acted. Steve Coogan was outstanding. Also, his Russian wife is my new role model. (laughs) That's a scary thought, Philippa. (laughs) To sum up, Jeff. Well, as I said, fantastic performances all round. Um, Focus on Stan and Ollie and Steve Coogan and John C. Riley were brilliant. But other characters had... uh, we're given time to breathe, and that's great. Certainly for BAFTA, this is going to be a big awards winner this year. Yeah, I, I just felt it just lacked that scope of something like Chaplin. So to me, it just didn't have that epic quality. But I want to end by throwing in a little story which sums up this tour, and it was a story I once heard from Bob Monkhouse. So Bob Monkhouse was a, a young up-and-coming comedian at the time of one of the tours, and I don't know which one. He was well down the bill. They were top. He was pretty much at the bottom. Anyway, one night he's getting ready to go on stage. There's a little knock on the door. He opens the door and there's Stan and Ollie standing there. And he said, Mr. Monkos, I hope you don't mind. We like to get the autograph of everyone we work with. And they timidly hand out this autograph book to Bob Monkos to get his autograph. Now, bear in mind, Monkos was a huge fan of theirs. Yeah. And, 
for him, that was one of the greatest honours. It's a fantastic little story and just shows yeah. what those two were like. They were grounded, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Over to you, Graham. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, for me, you, uh, probably anybody listening can say I was totally captivated. A wonderful 90 minutes of fun, sadness, uh, and a massive dose of education for me. <laughs> I'm going to definitely watch this again a number of times when it's available on TV. I mean, everyone should go and see this. It's uh, it's the perfect escape from the depressing realities of modern-day Britain. It's a wonderful, charming winter tonic. In the same way, Bohemian Rhapsody gave us a nostalgic look at Freddie. This film gives us a glimpse into the lives and genius of Laurel and Hardy. I was hooked from beginning to end. Phil, sort of film you'd watch? I really want to see it on a few levels. Like you guys watch them as kids, so there's that. But there's also performers, stars who are nearing retirement and kicked out by you know, the studio system and everything that you're describing. Sounds like a really interesting human journey. As well as the fact of what actually happened to these very famous performers towards the end of their careers, I really, really want to see it. Yeah. And you guys have just sold me on it even more. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Um, if you liked Stan and Ollie, you will like all Lauren Hardy films. Trust me, many of which are available on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, in particular, the Music Box, which is pure genius. Also, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, Charlie Chaplin, the Marx Brothers. The list goes on. After the joy and laughter of Stan and Ollie, we move to a movie without a single laugh, or much joy for that matter. Graham's movie to review this month is M. Night Shyamalan's Glass. And worse than all of that, Neil, it's another bloody superhero movie. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Someone else who never spreads much joy, even if you are right on this occasion. This is the follow-up to M. Night's breakout hit of the last year, Split. At the end of Split, the twist is that it is in fact linked to his earlier movie, Unbreakable. Both movies take place in the same universe. This movie brings the principal characters from Unbreakable and Split together for a final showdown. So Graham, was this the big finish you were hoping for? Absolutely not. <laughs> Unfortunately... Whilst I really enjoyed Split, this movie just did not work for me on any level. The story starts well and is interesting, and then it just falls off a cliff. The second and third acts needed a lot more work and tightening of the script. The whole script seems to have been rushed. Jeff, you had an interesting point about the development speed of the movie. Yeah, thanks for him. Split opened a year ago and went on to be, as we all know, a big hit. That gave director M. Night Shyamalan just about 11 months to write a script, sort out the rights, because Split and Unbreakable characters were owned by two different studios, get a cast in place, film it, edit it. It's just too soon. It shows in the writing. In my opinion, should have been at least another six months to perfect that script in phase. It's in fact three different movies, and one of them is just a cut-price X-Men. Yeah, I agree. I think that comment hits the nail on the head. In relation to this story, M. Night was rushing to capitalise on the success of Split, really needed more time to polish the script. With or without the help of a, of a writing partner, I think a writing partner would have really have helped him here. The other major problems with the movie is that it's just too much exposition and referencing back to the first two movies that it's not really needed. Uh, I can remember both the earlier movies. I really could have done without the constant callback. I realise that 
some viewers might not have seen the other two movies, but surely they would be in a minority. I haven't seen either of them. <clears throat> so kind of the exposition kind of made sense, but yeah, I take your point. There is a watershed moment in this movie when the action moves from the streets of Philadelphia. Which is a good name for a song. <laughs> it is indeed. To the medical facility. And then the character of Dr. Ellie Staple is introduced, played by Sarah Paulson. The entire thing just changes pace and the forward momentum is lost in a series of staccato scenes that don't really go anywhere. This is such a shame because this had the makings of a good film. There were a lot of good ideas in there. It's just that the script was too meandering and lacked focus. This lack of focus is most notable in the conclusion of the movie. The finale is a massive letdown. There really is no conclusion. And, and the movie, it just seems to peter out. Finally, this is an M. Night Shyamalan film, so there has to be a twist. The twist is interesting, but man, does it take its time to work its way to the surface. And the first two acts were okay, I thought. The Streets of Philadelphia, good name for a song, <laughs> to the middle medical facility. The third act, yeah, I kind of lost interest. I think the direction that, I mean, M. Knight's the director of this film as well, and I thought his direction was fine. Nothing spectacular, workmanlike. Uh, I still think that all the problems arose out of the script. Yeah, and who wrote that script? The director yeah, himself. himself. Yeah. The problem with Shyamalan is that he had amazing success with the second film, The Sixth Sense. After that, he had the freedom to make whatever he wanted, providing he delivered a twist ending. Eventually, through boredom or the fact they weren't working anymore, he branched out into more mainstream fare. But that resulted in The Last Airbender and After Earth. It took a couple of years, but then he rebuilt his reputation with the low-budget horror movies The Visit and Split. And, of course, reinserting the twist into Split brought us here. Now, what I do like about Shyamalan and his direction is he does take his time. There's slow camera pans, odd angles, and I have no problem with that if the material is good. Unfortunately, this isn't. So it sort of makes itself noticed for all the wrong reasons, especially after a tense and exciting first third to the film. What follows is just uneven. Again, I think the problems are working to too short a timescale. What do you think, Neil? I agree the problem isn't with the direction. Also, the actors. I, I was I was very impressed with the solid performances from all members of the cast. Uh, well, except for M. Knight's cameo, which was cringeworthy. It was terrible. Yeah, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, when he's allowed to talk and move, is excellent. He's controlling and manipulating at the same time. Bruce Willis was also surprisingly good, brooding and determined. However... It was James McAvoy that is, again, the real standout as the multi-personality crumb. Uh, however, even here, there is slightly too much of McAvoy for people who have already seen Split. Did you really think that Willis was that good, Graham? He didn't have much to do. He just looked yeah. brooding and wandered around. He just had case. to sit there, and it's, as such, he does very well at that. Nah, it's good sitting. Yeah, <laughs> see, but you're making my point. It's just another phone-in performance from an actor who lost his passion for his craft years ago. At least, you can say, it's better than Death Wish. <laughs> Everything's better than Death, Death Wish. Wish. Although, he played a vigilante in that as well, I'll have you know. <laughs> now, I do agree with you that James McAvoy was outstanding. It was almost like an acting masterclass, watching him jump from one character to another. And I lost track of the number he did. Apparently, Samuel L. Jackson said it was just amazing to watch. 
It's so good a performance that nothing else in the film comes close. Samuel L. Jackson and Anna Taylor-Joy, both usually excellent. As for Sarah Paulson, or Miss Exposition, <laughs> yeah, exactly. just a terrible and mannered performance. Again, I have to question how much of this was down to the terrible dialogue she had to quote from in an unpolished script. Neil, what do you think? I couldn't believe M. Knight made a, such a big deal of his part. I mean, a, a line or two, perhaps. But my God, he went on and on. The whole scene took me right out of the movie. Uh, James McAvoy, as far as I could tell, and I was counting 11 distinct accents and three main ones. But that said, I haven't watched Split, so maybe there was more nuanced ones in there. But Are you going uh, to go watch it now? We'll see. That said, the switching between Kevin, Patricia and the Beast was really impressive. A standout performance for me. Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis were okay. The, the parts they played involved lots of staying really still with a brooding look. They managed that well. <laughs> okay, so I agree, Graham. The problem was with the script. Another point. There were two mass murderers and a vigilante the police were on high alert for. And only two guards. I know it's a superhero movie and I shouldn't really bring common sense into uh, absolutely, it. Absolutely, Neil. I, I agree get criticised this all the time. And, and no one noticed one of the nurses was dead for several hours. But really? In the building, they just installed 100 new cameras. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and only the... one person looking at them, which yeah. is the nurse they had to deal with. The nurse who had been, just been murdered. murdered yeah. Yes, yes, it that was, was the role. Just... Yeah. Huge plot holes. Uh, yeah, I'm getting confused now. What do you for cinematography, Graham? Well, talking of cameras, uh, I found the cinematography really annoying. Again, in the second and third act, inside the secure hospital with only three nurses and two security guards, <laughs> for some reason, the director and the cinematographer went for these long, static, full-frame shots of people's faces. Well, the camera would actually stay on our face for quite a long time. It's just weird. And for most of the movie, Samuel L. Jackson just looks into the camera and twitches. Yeah, we get it, M. Night. He's pretending to be drugged up to the eyeballs. But yeah, we got that the first time you did that. In addition, when people were talking to one another, the camera tracks from face to face along the sides of their faces. You know, the camera doesn't turn. It actually tracks. And it just, it was so annoying. McAvoy was changing characters. The camera would sweep away from his face and then back to it his face when he changed character and yet other times we see him jump between characters with the camera in his face come on M. Knight make your mind up it's really irritating maybe it was the editing and too, too little, little time. time yeah I agree right uh, Jeff over to you for the music so M. Knight has returned to his split composer West Dylan Thordson now like split there's a lot of it which is discordant and then other parts which are almost choral especially as it goes towards the end now, I've since listened to the score away from the film, and the one thought which struck me was, it's a perfect score for a film called Glass, because it sounds like a Philip Glass score, although not as good. A worthy effort all the same. Neil, any music thoughts? Uh, sorry, I was too busy counting James McAvoy's characters. Let's wrap this up. Let's talk about themes and screenplay. As I said before, this is, for me, the core problem with this movie. The theme is that some people are, in fact, superheroes, and that this has been going on for thousands of years. So Mr. Glass, Samuel L. Jackson, is a criminal mastermind. Kevin Wendell Crumb, James McAvoy, is the horde. 
And David Don Bruce Willis is basically Captain America. Well, that's how I saw them anyway. I just thought it was very, very weak. Now, I've already made the point that the script is uneven, and this was down, I think, to time. However, I'll make another point now. Unbreakable, which is the cornerstone of the three films, worked because its superhero mythology had not really been explored at that point. To take superheroes and put them into a reality setting was novel and led to the very unexpected ending of Unbreakable. Since then, of course, the Marvel films, Love Them or Loathe Them, don't answer Empire Magazine, have taken that theme much, much further. So now, when there is a reveal that this, and this is a spoiler alert, that this is an origin story, it means nothing. That was the power of Unbreakable. This is nothing more than a cheap version of the X-Men franchise. But at least that franchise had the budget for a good ending, if not for entertainment. Over to you, Graham. Right, we've got some listener comments comments on this. Yep, Um, we have a few on this one. Firstly, from new listener Becky, James McAvoy. He stood out for me. If he doesn't win an award for best characters, I will cut my cinema card. The way he can switch between each personality and make the audience believe their persona he has transformed into, you can almost imagine what the character would look like. A phenomenal actor. From Phil Foster, who generally is on the same page as us, but not Jeff, surprisingly often. After an absolute cracking first third, it slows down for quite a lot of the monologues. It's something that I can see causing problems for some. There is also perhaps a lack of Bruce Willis after this point, given that he is the most relatable character. As a huge fan of Unbreakable, it provides me with a lot of enjoyment, but non-fans of Unbreakable, Split or Shyamalan, yes, he treats us to another cameo of bad acting, absolutely have nothing to see here. Right, lads, over to you for some final thoughts. As I haven't seen the other two films, I guess all the exposition was for me. I am so sorry. I ruined everything. <laughs> Not for the first time. <laughs> oh, bubble. Right on cue. Okay, so the film had a great start, but it quickly falls apart, goes into monologuing, and clearly he's run out of script ideas as he turns in another bloody superhero movie. Still probably be better than Avengers, though. James McAvoy is amazing. It's just a letdown of a trilogy which started so well 20 years ago. I was expecting much, much more. Yeah, uh, a great idea ruined by rushing this movie into production without honing and polishing the script. Good, solid performances from all the actors, standout being McAvoy. You know what would have improved this movie? A director's cut. In a director's cut, most directors put in scenes that were removed by the studio or were removed for the sake of time and pacing. I think M. Night Shyamalan should buck this trend and cut out loads of the movie for people who have seen Split. Mind you, it'd be a very short movie if they did. So here are my scenes that could be removed. Mr. Glass breaking his bones at the fairground, gone. Don's son reading comics at the comic book store, gone. The lobotomy and compromising of the laser subplot, gone. The how is he out of his room bit where the guards threaten Mr. Glass, gone. And all the scenes with Anne Taylor-Joy need to be reshot as he clearly has problems with his female characters. She is clearly a good actress, great in Split. But the scenes with her and McAvoy are not touching and in this one they do not work. I could go on all day. All in all, disappointing. Listeners should wait for my director's cut. What do you think, Phil? 
Well, I'm a huge fan of uh, Unbreakable, which uh, I thought was absolutely brilliant and kind of way ahead of its time, mm. as Jeff was saying. And um, I really enjoyed Split. I haven't seen this film. I have to be honest, the minute I heard about it, I thought it was a bad idea. And the more I heard about it, and especially when I saw the trailer, I was not keen. And from what you guys are telling me, I'm kind of not far off. So I don't know if I'll, I'll ever really check it out, but I am a huge fan of Unbreakable, especially. And so, yeah, this film sounds like, for all the reasons you described, a bit of a misfire, to say the least. Yeah. So, uh, and, and you spent a long time developing your script for Last Chances. Yeah. To hear somebody turn this out almost in a, what seems to be a matter of weeks... I mean, like you said, he's got to write the script. He's got to get the cast. He's got to lock down dates. And from what you're describing to me, I haven't seen it, but it sounds like Bruce Willis wasn't massively available. I would not be surprised if that's the reason from what you're saying. His character isn't a yeah, gigantic be... part of it because yeah. it, was, it was all rushed together so quickly. And a good script needs development. I mean, Shyamalan has written amazing scripts in the past. He would know that more than anyone. So yes, it does sound very rushed and it, it often leads to inferior films unfortunately fair point yeah okay so if you like glass here are some other movies that you might find interesting um, the sixth sense uh, a good m night Shyamalan movie with an awesome twist the silence of the lambs creepy thriller without being full-on horror psycho the original multiple personality thriller and still the best Shutter Island, a creepy crime thriller film directed by Martin Scorsese and Fight Club I can't tell you anything about Fight Club because that's the first rule. That's a whole list of films for you to watch there, Neil. Thanks, Jeff. I've seen most of them. Right, guys, time to pick our movie of the month from these three. All agreed, actually, my movie, Stan Nolly, was the standout feature. Absolutely. Yeah, got to agree. Yeah. By, by a mile. What else have we been watching? We've had some at-the-flick cinema trips recently. The favourite, which we all thought was the best Queen Anne-related film ever. I'm sure everyone's seen it by now, but if you haven't, why not? Olivia Colman, Rachel Weitz and Emma Stone are all wonderful. Next, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Would have been in my top ten films of 2018, but I was, it's just a bit too late in the month to include, sadly. Anyone can be a superhero. Loved it and I had to see it twice. We've also been treated to six minutes of the Last Chances film, Loving Vincent, 100 artists using only Van Gogh's painting style and his paintings to serve as locations and characters, created a simple but stunningly beautiful story of the days following his death. On Netflix, I've watched Sex Education, very, very funny, and as it happens... Next month, we were interviewing the oft-ignored location manager, whose work on sex education ensured we are treated to some stunning scenery. On the same themes, I've also watched the film Young Offenders, a bittersweet comedy of a couple of kids from County Cork and a vast amount of cocaine. Apparently, BBC Three has put on a short run of TV episodes, even more of Alex Murphy and Chris Wally as Connor and Jock. Also, Aquaman, Mortal Engines, Once Upon a Dead Pool and, and The Ballad of Buster Scuggs isn't Christmas wonderful, as long as everyone confines it to the second half of December. For me, it's similar to Neil. Uh, I have a few movies that I caught over the end of December and this month. Movies first. The favourite. 
I agree with Neil. If you've not seen it yet, listen to the end of this podcast and then go and see it. It's quite simply brilliant. Dark as night and so funny. Coleman, Stone and Vice are on fire. Phil, what do you think of it? Have you seen it? Yeah, um, I saw it last week, actually. Very entertaining film. Uh, The three female leads, as you say, were fantastic. Um, Just so nice to see three strong female lead characters just absolutely dominate a film. The only thing I have about it is a few shots using a fisheye lens. Oh, God. Oh, no, yes, well, crying out which, loud. I'm sorry if you're skateboarding, it's okay, but I don't yeah. quite understand <laughs> how in a period... It took me out of the film every time. You, you have a permanent invite to come back onto the show whenever <laughs> you want. <laughs> you know, I've gone on and on about that fisheye lens. It took me out of the film completely. Yes. It's such a modern uh, look. Affectation. Yeah, maybe. I, just, I mean, I could see what they were trying to do, maybe, but I, for me, it didn't work. Strange decision on yeah. the director's it, part, especially though. when you have a script as good as that one. Exactly. The rest of the film, great, but yeah, I think there was about four fisheye lens shots, and every single time, I was just completely baffled. But maybe that's just two of us. Full well, film, four yeah. shots, and that's what you're talking about. But Both apart from that, you. the film was great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well saved. <laughs> Okay, uh, next up, Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, I didn't see this one coming at all. It's groundbreaking, action-packed, and surprisingly complex for an animated superhero movie. An absolute this gem. People being walking out of the cinema going, oh, it's 3D and you didn't tell us because of the double... It's in the, the double background. exposure the in the background. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was a bit weird. Fantastic. But it's really, Once really you dear. get used to it, the background is out of... Um, out of focus so by by putting a, a double double image out. All right, yeah. I think it was brilliant. Yeah, it's well like worth seeing. Not three D. I agree with Bill Maher. What? Oh dear. Well, you, haven't you been following Bill Maher? No. no, funnily enough, he's been attacking all superhero and comic book things. Oh, right. This is kind of different. This one no. though. I yeah, think that's what they all separate. say. I kind of set, review this separately. Well, has you, Bill Maher run out of comedy stuff to do with politics, and now he's just picking random topics to attack? No, his point is every superhero story, and I agree with him, is exactly the same story. No. Oh, they find a power, they don't know what to do with the power, they use the power, they become great. And this Fine. is the point where you cut all everything, Jeff says. Well, <laughs> Howard Stern did have a good point. He said... Superhero movies are not right, real superheroes. He said you've got superheroes who go and fight fires, who yeah. rest people, yeah. who work hard, or are well treat people in, oh. in hospitals. Or yeah, are well. I don't think he mentioned that. So no, he hasn't anyway. got to that one yet. Maybe a later episode. Okay. And speaking of Welsh, let's move on. Yes, inside <laughs> Lewin Davis. Um, this was a recommendation from our regular podcast contributor Phil Foster, aka Phil the Bear. I have no idea how I missed this when it first came out in 2013 as it's a Coen Brothers movie and I thought I'd seen them all. However, this is just brilliant. As a lifelong Bob Dylan fan, this movie captivated me from the outset. This is the story of a folk singer played by Oscar Isaacs, brilliantly played by Oscar Isaacs, in New York's Greenwich Village in the early 60s. He lives his life in the shadow of Bob Dylan and this movie asks the question... When do you quit when your career is going nowhere? This movie just never stops as our hapless hero moves from one disappointment to another in the pursuit of fame. 
deeply moving, dark, strange and funny in equal parts. And it's a real treat. I absolutely loved it. On TV? Just before we get to TV, Graham, right, sorry. that question you posed. Yeah. Neil, how did you answer oh, it when it happened to you? <laughs> Dear old Lord. That was a bit below the belt by a mile. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Grandad. But as I'm, I'm not working. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. in the 30s, I just dealt with it by uh, just carrying on taking the money. Yeah. At least you can remember the 60s as an adult, Jeff. Right. <laughs> back on track. I've been watching a lot of Netflix. Um, Titans, this is the story of Dick Grayson, who's most people know as Batman's sidekick, Robin. However, this is set after Robin and Batman split up and Dick moves to Detroit to be a police detective. He still has all his Robin tech and uses it at night to support his day job. This show is brutal, violent and dark with a smattering of humour. Not the usual DC TV shows like Gotham or Supergirl. This is hardcore. One quick warning. The first season just ends at episode 11. It just ends. You get to the end of the episode and it just stops. And there's no real finish to no, it, is there's there? There's no logical things. finish. Oh, it just God, stops. It's a superhero going, thing. They the get hell? their powers back and kill more oh, people. Oh, no. Loads of things are left unresolved. However, season two is on the way, hopefully arriving before the end of the year. I really enjoyed it. The new season of Star Trek Discovery. Just watched the first episode and I'm hooked again. Excellent cast. Loads of action this time. It looks like a much better story. The Klingon War is over. The Federation won. And now the USS Discovery is off on a new adventure. I'm optimistically excited. Sex Education. Uh, very funny and very raunchy. Shot on location in the Y Valley. Great cast and very funny premise of a teenage schoolboy who becomes a sex therapist for his classmates. I think you have to get past the first five minutes, really. Don't you? <laughs> and once you pass the first five minutes, actually, it's levels out. Yeah. It's the shock at the beginning. It I think. certainly is. Yeah. I thought they can't put that on television. That's outrageous. Oh yes, they did. Yeah, I don't think I've ever cringed like this since <laughs> David Brett was in the office. There are some really cringeworthy moments. Great stuff. Over to you, Jeff. What have you been watching? Well, for me, as always, cinema, TV and radio. Now, for cinema, Life Itself, a film which was jointly released in cinemas and shown on Sky. Easily my film of the year so far. Oscar Isaac, Mandy Patankin and Olivia Cook are standouts in a great cast. As for the film, it is an unexpected journey through life. Or is it? Does fate sometimes take a hand? Now, I don't want to say too much as this film is best enjoyed and best experienced without knowing how it plays out. It's a fantastic movie. Ignore the critics who largely dismissed it. They're wrong. Just enjoy. Other films? Welcome to Marwan. Steve Carell is very good in a film which jumps between the real world and a fantasy one, created by the main character as a place of refuge. It's disjointed and unfortunately doesn't quite hold together. However, it does have real heart and worth seeing for one of Carroll's best performances. The favourite. Okay, everybody else has had their say on this. I'm going to come in now because I can see flaws. And I've got to agree with Phil. It's that damn fisheye lens. Get it out of there. Stick to the script. Get over it, both of you. God, (laughs) two of us now. Yep, two. (laughs) Two people is not a movement. Yeah, right. Okay, it is a movement. (laughs) And and speaking of movements, let's go to TV. (laughs) Brexit, the uncivil war. Oh, jeez. 
a joint production between Channel 4 and HBO where Benedict Cumberpatch plays Dominic Cummins, the architect of the leave win in Brexit. It's excellent, showing the mentality of people like Banks and Farage and also explaining what Cummins was trying to do. What happened after is the disaster this country is now heading for. Brilliant and intelligent TV. I think you've seen that, Neil, it's as well. It's, it's, it's quite balanced. I think it was. It, I, I, I Dominic, it. Dominic Cummings is obviously the architect, and it, it does give him a, a valid sort of um, viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I fully accepted everything Cummings was trying mm. to do. He had to win on a question, and he did it. That then caused the disaster that followed. Have you seen it, Phil? I have not, but I'm interested. It's on yeah. Channel Four. You pick it up on Channel, Channel Four. Four Brilliant. Whatever iPlayer Brilliant. version yeah. is. Um, yeah. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. Awful. Um, for radio, Ankle Tag Season Two. Another four episodes of the sitcom about a fraudster dad released on parole and has to live with his son and family. Steve Spears as the dad is just brilliant, and each episode is laugh out loud funny. The fact, of course, it's Welsh helps. But if you haven't heard this series yet, you're missing out. If you can track down season one and two, honestly, there will be at least two, three times in each episode you will be laughing out loud. As for next month, Neil will be reviewing The Lego Movie 2. I hope it's as good as the first. Jeff will be reviewing Can You Ever Forgive Me? Can you, Neil? No. <laughs> and Graham will be reviewing Alita Battle Angel. No surprise there, it sounds like a bloody superhero movie. It is, yeah. Okay, that's another show over. Oh, wait, I've forgotten. Jeff does that silly quiz of his. Let's humour him. Thanks, Neil, our very own Oliver Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the theme this month is all about journalists, and I'll admit it's not one of our easiest. First up, two actors have played gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson on screen. Who were the actors? Next, fictitious journalist Lois Lane has been played by many actresses, but who played her in the following films? Superman, 1978, Superman Returns, and Man of Steel. Finally, Washington Post editor Ben Bradley has been portrayed three times on screen, and one of the actors playing him won an Oscar for the role. Who were the actors who played him, and in which films? Good luck, answers next time. Bloody hell, Jeff. You haven't gone for easy this month. Okay, so, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap, and another at the flicks is in the can. So it only remains for us to say... Well, Neil, that's another fine mess you got me into. It sure is. So, Jeff, are you as excited as I am for all the superhero films coming out this year? Oh, yeah. I'll answer for Jeff, yes. <laughs> no, I've reached mahogany. Oh, <laughs> and to everyone else, thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening and, and goodbye. goodbye.